Kennedy. I love talking about the Kennedy assassination because to me it's a great example of uh, a totalitarian government's ability to you know, manage information and thus keep us in the dark any way they do. Oh, sorry, wrong meeting. Uh, <laughs> shit. That's the meeting we're having tomorrow at the docks. I love talking about Kennedy. I was just down in Dallas, Texas. You know, you can go down there and uh, to Dealey Plaza where Kennedy was assassinated. And you can actually go to the sixth floor of the school book depository. It's a museum called the Assassination Museum. I think name that after the assassination. I can't be too sure of the chronology here, but anyway, they have the window set up to look exactly like it did on that day. And it's really accurate, you know, because Oswald's not in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. Painstaking accuracy, you know. It's true, it's called a sniper's nest. It's glassed in, it's got the boxes sitting there, and you can't actually get to the window itself. And the reason they did that, of course, they didn't want thousands of American tourists getting there each year going. No fucking way! I can't even see the road! Shit, they're lying to us! Fuck! Where are they? There's no fucking way! Not unless Oswald was hanging by his toes upside down from the ledge. Either that or some pigeons grabbed onto him, flew him over the motorcade. Surely someone would have seen that. You know, there was rumors of anti-Castro pigeons seen drinking in bars. Someone overheard them saying, coo, coo, coo. Back into the left. Back into the left. Back into the left. Back into the left. Which, by the way, that action you see Kennedy's head do in the Zabruder film, caused by a bullet coming from up there. Yeah. I know it looks to the layman or someone who might dabble in physics. This action here would have been caused by a bullet coming from, well, Here, did you see that? Did everyone see that? Yeah, but no. What happened was Oswald's gun went off, causing an echo to echo through the buildings of Dealey Plaza. And the echo went by the limo on the left, up into the grassy knoll, hitting some leaves, causing dust to fly out, which 56 witnesses testified was a gunshot, because immediately Kennedy's head went over. But the reason his head went over is because the echo went by the motorcade on the left, and he went, what was that? <laughs> so there. 
We have figured it out. Go back to bed, America. Your government has figured out how it all transpired. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control again. Abs in a six-pack. Are you willing to say tonight, when your trial comes up, that you'll secure a conviction without the shadow of a doubt? I cannot make a statement which would reflect on Mr. Shaw. Since the day I we charged him and arrested him, I have not made a statement which inferred that he's guilty, and I cannot infer that now. But I am trying to tell you that there is no question as a result of our investigation that an element of the Central Intelligence Agency of our country killed John Kennedy and that the present administration is concealing the facts. There is no question about it at all. That is your opinion? No, it is not. I know it, and if you will just wait, you will see that history will support this as fact. I'm telling you right straight out that if you are at all sensitive, uh, if you're at all queasy, uh, then don't watch this film. Just put on the, uh, the late-night movie, uh, because this is... Uh, very heavy. It's the film shot by the Dallas dress manufacturer Abraham uh, Zapruder, uh, and it's the execution of President Kennedy. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweigh the dangers which are cited to justify it. At the bottom of the screen, the headshot. That's the shot that blew off his head. It's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in the movies. Now, the Warren Commission said that all of the shots were fired from behind by Lee Harvey Oswald, a lone assassin, firing at the president. And as you can see, clearly, the head is thrown violently backwards. Con completely consistent with the shot from the front, right. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. Now this is an extreme blob of just the president from the film. Coming out behind the sign, he's shot. He's hit from the, sit here. From the front, too. He's from the front. front. Now, Jackie doesn't realize what's happened yet. She goes to his aid. And now... He's hit Again, from the, the violent backward motion. Totally consistent with... 80% of the witnesses, which said the shot came from the grassy knoll in front and to the right. Did you ever work for the CIA? 
You make it sound like some remote fucking experience in ancient history. Man, you don't leave the agency. Once you're in, you got you for life. Shaw? Shaw? Shaw's an untouchable, highest clearance. Shaw, Oswald, the Cubans, all agency. What about Ruby? <coughs> Jack. Jack was a pimp. He was a bag man for the Dallas mob. He used to run guns to Castro when he was still on our side. Mm. We almost had Castro with us, then we tried to whack him. Everybody's flipping sides all the time. It's funny games, man, funny games. What about the mob, Dave? How do they fit in this? It's the agency, too, man. CIA and the mafia working together, trying to whack out the beard, mutual interest. They've been doing it for years. There's more to this than you could dream. Well, check out something called uh, Mongoose, Operation Mongoose. Mongoose? Uh, government, Pentagon stuff. Uh, they're in charge. But who the fuck pulls whose chain? Who the fuck knows? Oh, what a deadly web we weave when we practice to deceive. And who killed the president? Oh, man, why don't you fucking stop it? Shit, who did... This is too fucking big for you, you know that? This is... Who did the president? Who killed Ken? Fuck, man! It's, it's a mystery! It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma! The fucking shooters don't even know, don't you get it? Fuck, man! I can't keep talking like this. You're gonna fucking kill me! I'm gonna fucking die! I'm gonna fucking die! Abs and a six pack! Sabs and six pack. Joined by bowl after bowl. Woo! Woo! Spencer Lawyer return again. Bowl.com. Hey, that's that's the website. (laughs) And then Noah's here. Noah's over here. Noah. Hey. How's it going? Woo! It's been a while. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So uh, I'm black. (laughs) So uh, we're talking JFK tonight. Um, I have been prepping for this episode here and there since the show started early last year in 2020. So I was looking around at all the clips I had, and I'm like, let me just throw all these in a playlist that I've been collecting over the years. Like most of them, 30 to seconds to two minutes. Yeah. I threw them all in a playlist just to see how many clips it was, and it was over three hours. And I was like, this is going to work. So, uh, it, but a lot of it I realized too was all like kind of milk toast stuff. It's like people already know this. Anybody that's looked in the assassination knows about all the witness testimony and all the yep. the basic um, normie mm-hmm. evidence. So yeah. I was like, I had the idea when you after you watch you and Lauren uh, Spencer, you you both watched JFK recently. Yep, director's yep. cut. Director's and cut. And so it, yeah, which thank you for doing that and. If that movie had a dick, I would suck it. I'll tell you that right now. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, you said you didn't really know the story of Jim Garrison. So that gave me the idea to <clears throat> kind of go back and pull some clips from all those, uh, like the old Jim Garrison case. And yeah, that we'll was cool. That so in the intro, was that Garrison's voice? Was that him talking at the trial itself? Or was that a... Uh, the very like first clip in that rendition. intro was him on Johnny Carson. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Which they kind of did a take on that in the in the film JFK, yeah. In the director's in the, cut, yeah. In the film, they had to uh, go to commercial or whatever. Like they didn't let him right. keep yeah. talking about whatever he had. Yeah, that that same idea happened on Johnny Carson, and that movie gets criticized for being like, "Oh, he made up things," like Oliver Stone did. And really, the only things that I've found that are made up is one Willie O'Keefe, the Kevin Bacon character. That's actually a combination uh-huh. of three different guys. Willie O'Keefe wasn't a real guy. It was Perry Russo and two other guys. And so he, Oliver Stone, just for brevity, combined them all into one character. 
Gotcha. Then you had uh, there was another. Oh yeah, uh, Donald Sutherland's character, Mister X, uh, oh, that yeah. he meets in Washington. That's right. that is a real guy, and like you can watch the interviews with the real guy that character is based on. The only thing, and he has the same testimony. The only thing is, in real life, Garrison never met that guy. Uh, that makes so sense. It, yeah, there's certain things that like that get criticized, but the facts are all still on point well, in that movie. I definitely noticed a lot of the different testimony was like the word for word stuff I had researched for years. You know, right? Exactly. Like like when they take the witness testimony quotes, like the lady in the red dress was a huge witness. She's probably like the most Gene Hill. Prominent, yeah. yeah, Gene Hill is probably the most prominent witness of them all. And seen, uh, the stuff that he put in there from her was all like direct quote stuff. Mm-hmm. The most of the movies like that. And uh, I'll, later on, I'll play the NBC uh, hit piece that they did on Jim Garrison. A lot of that's word for word. And uh, well, yeah, I, don't, I won't bust blow my whole load uh, right away on what I'm what's coming up. But uh, before we get too into it, I did promise CSB and Booberry was asking me to just post the episode I recorded, but I guess. Now, after, like recently, in the last hour or so, Darren posted that Grumpy Old Ben's episode. Oh, yeah. But, uh, beat you to it. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, I guess he, I don't know if he posted it because I told him I was going to talk about it or what. But, uh, I, I, I did. I wanted you to hear it from me. <laughs> I heard it live. <laughs> and I did, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, usually they run, what, two and a half hours, maybe even four hours with the post pre stream altogether. Yeah. That yeah, show lasted about 20, 25 minutes. And they were just, uh, they, they both kind of were being grumpy, hence the title, Grumpy Old Ben's. Sure. And uh, it ended, I, I pulled, I just, all I did was pull some ISOs of Darren right before the stream <laughs> ended, so we'll go with that. I'm not going to do the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a and, second. And uh, this, this one's good. Maybe I should just quit and shut the show down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have to go off air right now. <laughs> all right see i told you i can't be on air now this one's probably my maybe favorite. i should just quit and shut the show down <laughs> we are gone it's over <laughs> and that's how the stream ended so that's your grumpy old ben's report for today gotta say i feel like a large part of alex jones wants to quit his job <laughs> maybe i should just quit and shut the show down I got to give a shout out to midnight mike from obdm for getting me those clips too because i was like i gotta get these alex jones quit the show clips and he was kind enough to send him my way, so shout out to Midnight Mike. Shout out, shout out. Shout out. But anyway, yeah, uh, back, back to the movie, JFK. It came, like, there's so many good, like, quotables and ISOs from that movie, too. Like, I've always leaned on this one as long as Ab's in a six-pack has you been You don't around. know shit, because you've never been fucked in the ass. <laughs> like, that one's good. <laughs> just too good. Uh, and I like the who's your dad, like, uh, the who's your daddy. This quote. is Louisiana, Chief. I mean, how the hell do you know who your daddy is? Because your mama told you so. <laughs> and then Joe Dude. Pesci, obviously. Oh, sucking faggot. He got me by the balls. <laughs> <laughs> he got me by the balls. Dude, I thought some of those accents in there were just so snort-worthy, dude, because everybody's, like, trying to do the Louisiana accent. Louisiana, yeah. Right. And then Joe yeah, Pesci was. has, like, one going kind of sometimes. <laughs> but then when he starts yelling, it's fucking over, man. Sucking faggot. <laughs> uh, the the, uh, the casting of that movie, despite the Louisiana accents being botched a lot of the time, the casting was perfect. I thought like John it Candy's was. character was 
amazing and yeah. not even as cartoonish as the real Dean Andrews. Like <laughs> the real guy. The that, slick, slack. <laughs> we'll get uh we'll get into that. But yeah, I guess um uh, I don't know, you guys any any other takes on the movie before we get into the juicy shit? Well, I just wanted to say that it seemed to me like uh Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone stretched the truth just enough to make it a film instead of a documentary, you know, like he, right. he kind of like, he had to change some things to make it something that actors are in and it's a storyline and it wraps up in two and a half hours or whatever the fuck, you know, <laughs> three right. and three hours and 45 minutes, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's something, wasn't it something like that? Still. Yeah. You know, I think I mean, three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, a movie. It wasn't a documentary. Right. No. And God, like. Gary Oldman, what a fucking legend that guy is. His yeah, Oswald no was so good. No doubt. Like I said, I had like three hours of like the milk toast, regular elementary school, obvious conspiracy stuff with JFK. And, and I scrapped all that a couple of days ago and just pulled some modern day news clips to start out with. So we can okay. deconstruct those. And I think some of them are pretty uh, egregious. If you want to... I. I had one of CNN reporting on Oswald's widow, and it's it's a report on how Ooh, yeah. she wants to be left alone, and she's being harassed by the media. So in this report, I'm not even going to play it. I'm just going to tell you because it's too long of a report. But in this report, CNN's reporting on how Oswald's widow it wants to be left alone and is being like tired of being harassed by the media. So what they do is they repeatedly call her and show up at her house, even though there's like no <laughs> trespassing signs, and try to talk to her. And then at the end of the report, it ends with CNN going like, well, I guess we can't talk to her. It was yeah. the dumbest thing I've ever seen. They like tried to drop some smear quote on her husband. Like he was, they were like, <laughs> "Yeah." So after calling multiple times, her husband proved his long reputation of being a fierce defender of his wife, saying, <laughs> "Quote: We do not have anything to say to the press right now." End quote. <laughs> It's like, stick up your ass, dude. What a uh, fucking yeah. prick. <laughs> uh, but then uh, I did have this one with uh, Brolf. Actually, I think it's just a guy talking to Brolf mainly, but the uh, assassination tapes, the audio tapes that got released, uh, the White House recordings, this one's pretty good. Wolf, what you get from these tapes is a real Wolf. sense of the confusion as top officials desperately tried to sort out what needed to be done and to fully grasp an event that in those moments was incomprehensible. They were among the most anxious, gut-wrenching hours in American history, the chaos following President John F. Kennedy's assassination. Everyone, including top administration officials, was scrambling for accurate information. Newly released audio tapes offer fascinating insight into the confusion and the government's response. Listen to this phone call from White House physician Admiral George Berkeley, who was in Dallas, to Army Surgeon General Leonard Heaton on where to take the president's body. With regard to the taking care of the remains of the uh, President Kennedy, and we are planning on having the president uh, taken directly to Walter Reed. Probably Mrs. Kennedy will also be go going out there. But we will clarify that later. Oh, all right. <laughs> I know I might be like reading too much into this, but that guy going, oh, all right. Does that oh. sound real? Oh, all right. <laughs> like, I think they called a frog. <laughs> there was a frog on the other one. Uh, no, I just like it's just you're when you're hearing the news that like the president's body who's been blown to bits is 
is showing up at your hospital, like showing up at your hospital, and Jackie's going to be there, and your response on radio is, "Oh, all right." It's like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Mrs. Kennedy will also be go- going out there, but we will clarify that later. Oh, all right. But it wasn't <laughs> clarified. Just minutes earlier, Secret Service head Jerry Bain had called another official with the president in Dallas, saying the remains should be taken to another military hospital. Arrangements have been made for a helicopter for the Bethesda Naval Medical Center. The president was taken to Bethesda. For decades, critics said his autopsy was incomplete, mishandled, maybe even part of a conspiracy. I listened to the tapes with historian Max Holland, who has a different take. The government had no protocol for give, uh, having an autopsy of a president. It was just never something no one had ever thought would be necessary. Yeah, that's never happened ever unprepared. before, that's for sure. The tapes yeah, were bullshit. discovered by the radicals. <laughs> Total bullshit. No like president Lincoln. had ever before been assassinated, never had died in office. There's no, I mean, we don't... The, the federal know, government has we no protocol. We didn't even protocol. know presidents could die if they were president. <laughs> we didn't know. That was a fucking possibility. <laughs> I didn't... Yeah. Don't you gain immortality just temporarily <laughs> as president? And then you die after you're done being president, right? We did. We've never had one to die of old age either. We didn't know you needed autopsies for presidents. We just thought you needed autopsies for literally every other United States citizen, not a president. Something no one thunk, ever unthunkable. would be necessary. They were completely <laughs> unprepared. The tapes were discovered by the Rab Collection, historical document dealers. They got them from the estate of General Chester Clifton, a top aide to President Kennedy, then donated them to the National Archives. The recordings were made by the White House Communications Agency and include radio traffic from the president's plane, Air Force One. Part of the recordings which are not new are still riveting, like when a distraught Lyndon Johnson and his wife get on the phone from Air Force One to console President Kennedy's mother. <laughs> Listen to how distraught Lyndon Johnson sounds here. Oh, this it's totally wild. believable. I wish to God there was something that I could do, and I wanted to tell you that we were grieving with you. Yes, well, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. I know, I know you love Jack and he loves you. It leaves us all wanting to hear more, but some of the recordings from that period we may never hear. Officials at the Rab Collection say at least two hours of the raw tape are still missing. No, it's like the moon landing tapes. I bet all the yeah. important stuff just disappeared, like where they say, <laughs> where they like instruct uh, everything to be covered up, and Lyndon Johnson has the limousine refurbished with all the bullet holes and evidence. Oh, right, yeah. I would just like to say that I am grieving with you. And then this this one goodbye. Good night, Gracie. The, the uh, this one's even better. This this one might take the cake. It's ABC News um, when RFK Jr. came out and talked about what his dad believed about the assassination. This is a crime that's been investigated and debated for half a century now, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. The official word that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. But now for the first time, we're learning that JFK's younger brother, Robert Kennedy, the attorney general at that time, 
did not agree with that conclusion, and ABC's Alex Markport is on the story. Good morning. That's right, Dan. It's a remarkable revelation. This is a murder that's been studied more than any other in history. Conspiracy theorists insisting that JFK's assassination by Lee Harvey Oswald was part of a bigger plot. For the first time ever, we're learning that JFK's own brother and his attorney general, Robert Kennedy, was, quote, fairly convinced that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone. I know that it was a source of the greatest strength to him to know that there were thousands of people all over the United States who were together with him. Though RFK publicly supported the Warren Commission, according to his son, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he thought it was, quote, a shoddy piece of craftsmanship. My father thought that somebody was involved, Kennedy Jr. revealed to a Dallas audience. The evidence at this point, I think, is very, very convincing that it was not a lone gunman. Then who? When it was suggested that the culprits could have been the mob or Cubans, Kennedy Jr. added, quote, or rogue CIA agents. He also revealed that his father put his own investigators on the case in search for the truth. I don't find them credible. It's been investigated, reinvestigated, investigated again and again and again, and uh, no one's ever come up with uh, entirely credible evidence. <laughs> okay, so this guy the ABC News cuts to has no name listed, no credentials, no occupation. It's just some guy. I watched, I rewatched <laughs> the video like four times. I'm like, this is just some guy. Like, they don't tell you who he is. He just goes, I don't think it's credible. I don't know if it's a whipsaw or what, but I was like, what the fuck? Joe, what do you think about this? <laughs> it's like, literally, it's like, who is this guy? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I don't find them credible. It's been investigated, reinvestigated, investigated again and again and again. It's in the show. And uh, no one's ever come up with uh, entirely credible evidence. And a new revelation about Jacqueline Kennedy. That image of her in Dallas 50 years ago, so iconic. Kennedy Jr. told the audience that after JFK's assassination, his aunt spent the next half of the decade mainly out of the country because she feared how dangerous it was becoming. As for why Robert Kennedy never voiced these suspicions in public, his son said that with the civil rights debate sweeping the country at the time, raising them would have been a distraction. Dan? Louis, it's interesting to hear his thoughts on Jackie Kennedy as well. Oh, that's really so fascinating with his family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was... I just, I, the only reason I really pulled that clip is just because they cut to some guy with literally like no explanation of who he is or what his name is. That is so so I'm like, well, there's no, it's not credible. Ah, so clearly, <laughs> uh, you know, Robert Kennedy was mistaken. Yeah. Because <laughs> some guy thinks so. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I didn't even catch it the first time. I had like the second time I was like, wait a minute. And I had to back it up. Um, I got a little, uh, if you guys are cool with going down a Robert Kennedy Jr. rabbit trail, I got a couple clips from him. I thought he had some interesting stuff on Oswald. Okay. For sure. Um, First, a little backgrounder with him on Tucker. Got to get Tucker in there. Well, believe it or not, the full release of all files related to the JFK assassination has been delayed yet again, this time until 2021. The president delayed the release <laughs> in the name of national security, but it raises the question, what possible national security interest could be served at this point in protecting information about an assassination that occurred 55 years ago? 
Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the author of American Values. He is, of course, the nephew of the slain president. He joins us tonight. It's such an odd—I've never done a segment on, on the assassination before, but I'm so struck by how weird this story is. The president has said, point blank, a couple of times, I'm going to release all these files. He was convinced, for some reason, not to release them. What do you imagine that reason really was? Uh, probably Trump realized they would kill him and he'd wind up just like Kennedy is my guess. There's got to be a piece of it for sure. I mean, <laughs> he kept saying, also... I'm going to release him. Either Trump was lying and it was all talk or somebody got to Trump and was like, no, you're not. Well, yeah, you I gotta. Agree. I would imagine it's like Trump is a negotiator by trade. It's right. kind of his, that's his whole like style and lifestyle. And you got to imagine that the official Kennedy records, which are set to be released, which are permanently in National Archives already. So it's like, they're there. They can't be removed, but this date, they keep kicking the can down the road on on the date. So that's yeah. another negotiation term, I would imagine, you know. What did he get for it? What is he using it for? So you, you keep the JFK files, but you give me Space Force, something like that. Maybe, maybe, who knows? <laughs> Possible. I, the, my thing is like with the like the, I think the obsession over the JFK files getting released is not a good thing to hope on because like all the crucial stuff either was never on paper or was shredded. Right. Like yeah. this is not the type of thing that you write down. Sure. When you pull it off, definitely. You know? mm-hmm. So I don't know, but I mean maybe the I'm sh- like we found out through what Trump did release that Bush Senior was in Dallas that day. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. the That's the thing, too, is depending on who and what it implicates, if he's saying there's national security risks, like, that might be true, you know? <laughs> like, it might, right. be that, it might be that damning. Um, it also might be a piece of something way bigger that it's just a threat of, you know? Maybe. Yeah, that was another good point you brought up, which is what I've been saying for a while, is the, the parallels between... Kennedy's war with the intelligence intelligence community and Trump's war with the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll get to that pretty soon. I'm going to go through the RFK stuff real quick. Okay. He was convinced for some reason not to release them. What do you imagine that reason really was? Uh, well, I share your mystification. But the, you know, when they, the stuff that's dribbling out, um, it is information that tends to connect the CIA to um, to the assassination in one way or the other. I mean, the last one that they let out, what was it, in November, they let, um, they let a batch out, and that showed that Charles Cabell, who was the mayor of Dallas at the time my uncle was assassinated, was actually a CIA operative and had been a CIA operative since 1956. And then there was also some information about the automobile that showed that the window had been replaced. There was only one batch that Trump let get out, right? That was redacted. Yes, from what I remember. I think there was it only so. there was only one. There was talk of more being released later, but that never happened. If I'm yep. remembering right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um. Uh. I, yeah, it was supposedly going to be a trickle, and then it just got shut down. Yeah. I think I do like your theory about it being a negotiating tactic with Trump, but I like that. I, I mean, probably, I hope that's what it was rather than him just getting bullied out of doing it. 
it's probably like a piece of that and a piece of you know as as shitty as it is to say there probably are like national security concerns to a certain extent whether they're foreign or domestic security concerns for something like that to come out but well there's national security concerns because it would cause it would it's like the same national security concerns that they can't admit they faked all that moon landing footage because it would just right. erode the trust it, so greatly it, it, in the right institution of the government. change it's it's more even for the the security risk isn't isn't other governments even because i'm pretty sure all all the other governments know how the fuck things work and like what went on and they're all read into the fucking scheme but the national security risk is the people finding out how long they've been lied to for and like how severe all the lies are that's the actual risk because then none of this shit works anymore you know and nobody knows what happens as a result like the people go fucking crazy you know it's gonna be mayhem (laughs) well it it could have been something else as well it could have been like just Trump listening to his advisors who are around him, you know, smooth talking him and basically somehow convincing him not that 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 would be bad for his, you know, uh, presidency, basically. I mean, I I don't know. I just I I I think Trump's one of those guys who could be easily misled and has been easily misled by, you know, um, his poor choices of uh, advisors. He does listen to everyone. That's also one of his like things. That he's talked about forever. Yeah, um, it's hard to t- it's hard to tell what's 3D chess or 6D chess with him, and what's just <laughs> him like either blind luck or total stupidity. Like I don't know, it's like or, or something else. You know, it's you gotta wonder factor. too if uh, he would have just been aiming to put it in the second term stuff. You know, and then yeah, they convince well, that's him. What like, he said about right, firing well, Fauci. Keep hitting he was the, fire second Fauci in the second term. Yeah, the Fauci thing is mystifying. Like, when I found out he's the highest paid federal employee, (laughs) that shit really fucking burns your wig, doesn't it? I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I can't do the weed. He's getting money from, you know, pharma and so many other directions. I know, know? he's making a murder on all of these fucking patents that he's got on these vaccines. And then he gets a government paycheck for like $420,000 or something. Well, who else is going to vaccinate Santa Claus, man? You got to pay. You get paid big bucks for that. <laughs> All right, so I know RFK is hard to listen to, but I think he's like a true American patriot and a. Do you think the total... CIA did that too? His voice. They, you think they fuck with his voice? I don't know about that. Uh, I, I think even he to. himself thinks it was a vaccine injury, mm. but I'm not sure. But yeah. Um, so what you're yeah, saying? I, I, yeah. I have I, I have a real <laughs> soft spot for RFK Jr. I think he's yeah. like yeah. A, a true hero. So. I'm going to play, uh, I got two clips on him talking about Oswald. They're a little long, but I think they're super interesting given that it was the guy that supposedly killed his uncle, what his take on Oswald is. And I interviewed people who were, you know, um, who were part of a Cuban CIA group, you know, which is clearly the group that was, um, that, you know, was involved in my uncle's assassination. I interviewed um, CIA officials. I interviewed twice. Uh, um, I spent time with Fidel Castro talking about him, I, and talking because the Cubans were so deeply involved in, um, in the, you know, the CIA Cubans, the same ones who were trying to kill Castro, were the ones that division that was led by David Attlee Phillips, and Phillips was a um, 
was a CIA propagandist. He had been involved in the 1953 coup in Guatemala against Jacob Arbenz. He was at the Bay of Pigs. He was doing propaganda there. And then he ran um, the Cuban sabotage program, Alpha 66, and these you know, raiding groups. And it was people from that, those teams that you know were the team that um, was involved in the assassination. Lee Harvey Oswald, he was also Lee Harvey Oswald's case officer, David Abbey Phillips. Originally, Lee Harvey Oswald had worked directly for James Jesus Angleton, who was the counterintelligence. So Lee Harvey Oswald had been a, a radar operator at the Atsui Air Force Base in, um, in Japan, and that's where the U-2 flights had taken off. So he had very high security post, top secret. He he defected to the Soviet Union in 1957. And, um, and then, but his defection was what they called a, a dangle. It wasn't a real defection. I love that term, a dangle. A dangle. Yeah, I've heard like a lot of Intel, Intel guys talk about that. It's, I mean, it's just a double agent, basically. Like you act like you've left your side and joined the other side, but really you're ga oh, gathering you. intelligence. But I just like the term dangle. Dangling them in there. The angle. And, um, and then, but his defection was what they called a, a dangle. It wasn't a real defection. He was actually a CIA asset from that time. And he was working for Angleton. And the, the reason for his defection was that at Angleton, that there was a mole in Langley that they never found. And it's the reason they never had a good spy in Russia. Because as soon as they got somebody who defected, he'd immediately get killed because there was somebody at Langley telling. Angleton, who ran that division counterintelligence, which was supposed to trap Russian spies, recruited Oswald to make a fake defection to Russia because he believed he, they had his file on a trigger at Langley. And they assumed that the KGB would be wondering, who is this guy? Is he real? And that they would contact the mole at Langley and say, go pull his file and tell us what it says. So he had a trigger system and eyes on that file so that he would know if somebody pulled it and he'd know that that was the mole. It never happened. That's one of the craziest, I mean, there's so much crazy oh. stuff surrounding Oswald. Like in the show notes, I have like, there's at least theories with a little bit of evidence to back it up that he was working with David Ferry right next door to me in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, at the yeah. at the labs where they did the Manhattan Project and World War II and all that. But the um, the craziest thing about Oswald is, yeah, when he defected to Russia as supposedly a total traitor to the United States, he gave them military secrets and then not only was allowed back into the country – but, like, the State Department paid for his flight and shit. Right, I remember that. So it's like, clearly he's working for the government. Like, right. there's no way otherwise. You can't just leave the United States military and become a Russian citizen and denounce the United States and then just get let back in. <laughs> Especially yeah. in the height of the Cold War, dude. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, you would hope not. <laughs> That's yeah. just totally unbelievable. Ridiculous. Oswald was recalled from ad from... Moscow three years later. By then, he'd already married the, the daughter of a KGB colonel, and you know he came back here with Marina. He was met at the airport, never interrogated by the. He was given money to return by the State Department, six hundred dollars. 
He flew to Dallas. He was met by a CIA agent or assets in Dallas, who then took care of him, um, who ended up getting him the job at the book depository, who took care of him through all of his sojourns. But the whole time he was reporting to two men, David Johannides, who, was, who ended up being the liaison with the Warren Commission. And his job was just to hide stuff. And of course, Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA that my uncle had fired and who was the chief suspect in the assassination, ran the Warren Commission, got himself appointed to it and ran to hide the CIA's involvement. Uh, but Oswald was, um, you know, was a pro-Kennedy guy, loved my uncle and, you know, was really kind of mit, um, misused by David Adley Phillips. That's super interesting to me that Robert Kennedy Jr. would say that Oswald loved yeah, JFK. Oswald was like a Kennedy loyalist, he says. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you hear people to... say that, but hearing it come from RFK Jr., who interviewed a bunch of the people Oswald knew, is, is like a different level of credibility. Because you'd think he I, would hate Oswald. Right. Well, yeah, unless he knew that Oswald wasn't involved. <laughs> right. I mean, he's yeah. obviously highly convicted that Oswald wasn't involved. You know, yeah. 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 I, th- I used to think it was like Os- Oswald was involved and then got s- set up as the fall guy. But yeah. I'm starting to lend more credence to this idea that Oswald might have been there to try to stop the assassination and they were giving, feeding him false intelligence to try to get him to like be there thinking he's trying to stop it. In reality, he's the fall guy. Right. Because it was up. like, it was weird because they got rid of him quick, but between the time they got, before he, they got rid of him, but when they picked him up, Everything he said was just like that. I, I'm a patsy, but you yeah, could, it it made him look suspicious in a way because it seemed like he knew more that he wasn't saying, you know. But in in that unique position, you would have a lot that you couldn't really like necessarily say out loud, you know. Right, and then like they interrogate him for like twelve hours and s- destroy their notes or don't record anything he right. says. Which is yeah, super that's... suspect. The guy that is accused of killing the president, you're not going to like write down or record any of his interrogation. And then, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, obviously him getting killed before he a trial is like the biggest red flag ever. But yeah, All I don't know. It looks exactly like a certain portion of the government orchestrated the entire event from A to B, you know, A to Z, essentially. Yeah, I mean, and in the show notes, I have a. Uh, a presentation that this guy did. Um, it's called like Oswald's last phone call or something. And there's all, there's like all this information that he was like from witnesses that he was freaking out, trying to like get some, reach somebody on the phone in the book depository for a while before he left. Like he was, he was waiting on a call or trying to make a call um, to get somebody some info. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Super weird. Anyway, wrapping up this RFK junior. And I spoke to um, Cubans who met Oswald and um, met him with David Atley Phillips. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, at the time, the Warren Commission, they were able to hide the CIA involvement. But by um, 75, when they, you know, Hart's committee met, they made the conclusion that, yeah, it was a conspiracy. And the, actually, the staff... Um, for that committee, all 
concluded that it was the CIA that had done it. And I think now we have so much evidence and so much documentation that it's, it's really would be um, almost crazy to think that they were not, you know, um, behind it. That's something that a lot of people don't know, too, is there was a congressional committee that was appointed, like as a uh, committee on assassinations. And yep. It found that there was a conspiracy to kill John F. Kennedy, that there were multiple gunmen. And then yet, even though a congressional committee found that, like, the narrative has never switched to yeah, away from it's just it. Oswald. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kind of like Martin Luther King Jr., like a grand jury found that the FBI <laughs> killed him and they just gloss over that. Yeah. Right. It's wild, man. The, they just It's because all those fuckers still run everything, you know. So they're like, ah, well, you know, we just won't report it or talk about it or put it in our textbooks and it'll be memory hold. And then, like, the few people that look around and research stuff, you can just point at them and call them nut jobs, you know. As long as it's a minority, you can just call people crazy. Why are you trying to read that word, you a fag? (laughs) Oh, normies. (laughs) They get so mad. So, got. The clips coming up are probably going to get worse and worse sound quality wise because they're really old, uh, especially like the Jim Garrison stuff is obviously from the 60s. But before we go back that far, (laughs) James Earl Jones did this live live to tape television presentation. I saw like 1992. I saw that on your list and I saw it was like so long. So I'll have to go back and watch the whole thing. But I have a couple clips from that. And um well, yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just go with the first one because this is like if you listen to this one and think Trump, like you were saying, I think there's a lot of parallels here. Kennedy had come face to face with nuclear annihilation. He didn't want that to happen again, so he assured Khrushchev and Castro that the U.S. would keep its hands off Cuba. He ordered the CIA to stop interfering with Cuba. When they refused, he sent in the FBI to shut down their training camps. They started dumping on Kennedy for shutting down, attacking these bases and shutting them down and calling him a traitor. Kennedy continued to make enemies as he pulled back from world confrontation. He put in the hotline to Moscow. He signed the nuclear test ban treaty. That shook up the military industrial complex. He ordered U.S. troops out of Vietnam. Tell us, take that shook them up even more. The idea was a thousand guys out early and then eventually everyone out by 1965. And he disagreed with his advisors. It was their opinion that we had to send combat troops, and if we didn't send combat troops, that Laos would fall and South Vietnam would fall. They even questioned the viability of India, Australia, and Japan. The whole structure of East Asia, they said, would be threatened. (laughs) It's like exactly like the Middle East with Trump. (laughs) Yep. The exact same If we allowed this to happen. So they were very serious about this. But Kennedy was insistent. He wanted us out of Vietnam. He also decided he could no longer trust the CIA. After the Bay of Pigs, Kennedy had decided to change the whole structure of how this government would carry out covert operations. And so he was transferring covert operations directly to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Shortly after that, he fired Alan Dulles, who had been the director of Central Intelligence since 1953. That uh, was a signal to the CIA of what Kennedy was going to do, or what he had done. Kennedy was changing the status quo. 
James Earl Jones, man. <laughs> what a guy. This totally. whole <laughs> this if you watch the whole thing, I, I think I left just on purpose one or two bits like this, but it's like I think James Earl Jones just got roped into this live TV thing because he he's asking like really basic dumb questions a couple times and reading off a clipboard and he's kind of frantic. And then like they'll be like they'll take a call and then like he won't go to the next caller and they'll be like someone whispering off off camera. You can hear him go go to the next call, go to the next call. And James Earl Jones is like looking around or like he'll be looking at the wrong camera and you hear somebody going like snapping to get his attention. The whole thing was just a mess, but it was still like there was some good witnesses and info. But it was like James Earl Jones just got like roped into this last minute. It seemed like and didn't know where he was at. Poor legs, dude. <laughs> Uh, he's so good. I told investigators. <laughs> he's so good. It's about the connection between the FBI and Oswald. We received 19 files. Reference was made in those files to the Central Intelligence Agency contract number of Lee Harvey Oswald and the um, FBI informant number, S172 of Oswald, and the $200 a month stipend that he was receiving. Bannister connected to the FBI, Ferry with the CIA, Oswald with contract numbers at both, all together in an office shared by Howard Hunt of the CIA. But one other person was also there, a man named Clay Shaw, the only person ever to be charged in court with a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. So that brings us to Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> oh, uh, good. The CIA yeah, so he... fag. <laughs> Cock-sucking faggot. He got me by the balls. He got me by the balls. Oh, Joe Pesci. He got me by the balls, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You don't know shit because you never been fucked in the ass. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, this former CIA guy. That guy's fucking right. <laughs> I thought Fletcher was actually in here for a second. <laughs> he was for a second. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> that threw me off. I was like, Fletcher, Sorry. is that you? <laughs> Who's yeah. that? This is Louisiana Chief. Um, <laughs> sorry. So uh, yeah, this former spook guy, uh, James Earl Jones, James James Earl Jones. Interviews this former spook CIA guy on Clay Shaw. I thought this was interesting. What I was trying to do with this too, like I said, is since I scrapped all like the stuff I already knew about, I'm trying to. I was trying to find things I didn't already know about. And these next couple clips, I think, are fit that bill. Mr. Marchetti, who was Clay Shaw? Clay Shaw was a um, businessman who was involved in international commerce and uh, had quite a few connections overseas, uh, operating. Uh, uh, his uh, his trademark there in New Orleans. How did you find out about Clay Shaw's connection to the uh, CIA? Well, uh, in uh, at the time of the Garrison trial for Clay Shaw, I was working on the director of the CIA staff, and he had a morning meeting every day in which he had his twelve top lieutenants and a few staff officers. And one day he looked at the chief of the clandestine services and he said. Are we giving uh, that guy all the help we can down there in New Orleans? And he was referring to Clay Shaw. And he said, because we don't want that, uh, words to the effect, we don't want that uh, crazy guy 
down there uh, causing any trouble. He was referring to uh, Jim Garrison. And I, I thought that was kind of surprising. After the meeting, I asked the director's assistant uh, why he, he brought this up, and I was told to be quiet. Uh, later in the day, the director's assistant came over to me and said, look, uh, Clay Shaw used to work for us. He was a, a contact of ours, and he uh, did a lot of things for us. And uh, this guy Garrison is digging into his background, and he may bring this out. It would be very embarrassing to the agency, and that's why uh, we want to help, uh, help Shaw. I see. Well, did Oswald ever work for Clay Shaw? Um, I think he uh, probably did from uh, everything I know, but I did not know uh, that in the agency. Uh, Ron Lewis, do you, do you know if he ever worked for Clay Shaw? Lee was paid to, um, <clears throat> by Clay Shaw to distribute leaflets in front of the uh, International Trade Mart. That last guy talking was one of Lee Oswald's like close buddies back mm -hmm. in the day. But yeah, no, I thought that was like interesting because first of all, like CIA whistleblowers that talk shit about the CIA, especially, you know, this was 30 years ago or something like that when that CIA guy was ratting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's atypical usually. Usually you have guys like Mike Baker, the CIA guy, former, quote-unquote, former CIA guy that go on Joe Rogan and say, like, the CIA is great. They've never done anything sketchy at all. Right. <laughs> right. Sounds wonderful. It was like Pesci said, you know, you're, you're with the guy that you're with the CIA for life. Yeah. <laughs> While he's trying to light a cigarette for, like, 30 straight seconds. Got me by the <laughs> friggin' balls. <laughs> Cock-sucking faggot. <laughs> oh, man. The sticky bandits. Just That's to go on a, JFK. a wild aside for half a second. Have you ever played the uh, board game Diplomacy? No. I have not. Di Diplomacy is like a weird niche game. And it's like, uh, it's like a thinking man's risk. The board is uh, pre-World War I Europe. And there are seven like powers or countries that you can choose from. And you have like three little units russia has four to start the game out and basically you submit orders and all of your units can perform one action per turn there's two turns per year but it's all about negotiating with the other players about like what your moves are going to be and what their moves are going to be because based on the game rules no no one's really strong enough to just do whatever they want on their own you have to have like aid from another country in order to really make moves and take pieces and expand. Oh, these pieces look cool, too. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So it becomes this, like, negotiation uh, struggle. Really, they call it, like, the friendship killer because uh, in order to win, you have to be both, like, able to cooperate long enough to, like, gain trust in players, but also at some point, like, betray that trust and go a different way to gain control of the board. But the Kennedys were huge uh, diplomacy nerds. In fact, it's uh, it's really? rumored that when the Cuban Missile Crisis was going down, when they first got word of it, they went right into the Oval and uh, started a game of diplomacy and had a game going pretty much the whole time like while they were like... Bobby and, and JFK did? Yeah. That's the Bobby cool. and Jack, like... Started a game of diplomacy while they were like brainstorming it out, what to do and stuff. Fascinating game. I didn't even I'm gonna have discover to discover it until uh, um, I don't know. Must have been like 
five or six years ago, somewhere in there. But yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to try that out. Nobody ever cool. wants yeah. to play because it's like <laughs> it can hurt a lot of feelings, and it's like, but it's it is very fun. There's online versions of it where you can just play with you know strangers, which is a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, in the sense that you don't really have like a <laughs> trusting relationship <laughs> to worry about with with total strangers uh, on the internet, but. I've been playing. We got the truck, or the wife got me the Trogdor board game, and that one's interesting because everybody's on the same team against Trog or uh, Trog. Everybody's like trying to make Trogdor win. Oh, I got you. It's kind of weird how it works, but uh, you got to get yeah. The, the story about the the Cold War version that always gets told, and it sounds good, and I'm assuming it. I mean, assuming it's true from what I know, um, is. Like the Joint Chiefs of Staff and all the military generals were trying to get Kennedy to uh, sh- go ahead and missile strike Cuba, which would cause a war with Russia. Mm-hmm. And um, they they wanted to like flee down to the bunker and like go into the Situation Room to do it. And JFK was like, "No, we're all going to have the same fate as everyone else." And they he made everybody all the people when they make their decisions stay up at the vulnerable part, on the top nice. floor of the White House. And that Honorable. changed everybody's decision to not nuke anything. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so that's, I thought that was pretty, I mean, assuming that's true, that's pretty badass. But you never know, like, the, the way history gets spun, you know? Sure, yeah, legends and all of that. Yeah. Legends and rumors. Could be like a George Washington in the cherry trees type scenario. <laughs> right. But yeah, um, I can keep going with this James Earl Jones thing. I, uh, I got Jean, Jean Hill, since we were talking about her, this one, uh, this one backs up what happened in the Oliver Stone movie because she didn't really come out with the story until like 10 years after the assassination. She yeah. she was consistent with how many shots she heard, but she never really told the story about her interrogation until like 10 years afterwards. How many shots did you hear? Four to six. Did you see a gunman? I saw smoke and a uh, puff of smoke and a flash of light from the no uh, where someone was shooting from behind the fence. I understand that two men claiming to be Secret Service agents interrogated you after the assassination. What were you asked? Well, they picked me up and took me to the courts building and uh, shoved me in a room where there were two other men, uh, assumed to be Secret Service also, and they asked me what I had seen. I told them uh, that I'd seen the president hit, that I saw a shooter from the knoll, and that I'd heard four to six shots. But they told me I didn't hear but three shots. Three bullets is all they had. Three shots was all they were willing to say right then. Well, did you go to Washington to speak to the Warren Commission? No, because uh, my boyfriend, who was a policeman, got word that uh, possibly I would be killed on that trip. And so I did not go. But not long after, the Warren Commission came to Dallas. And they came out after me and took me to Parkland Hospital. And I was the only non-medical person interviewed at Parkland Hospital. Were you ever in the interviewed by the Warren Commission? Oh, yes. <laughs> I was interviewed by uh, Art Inspector, who, uh, who was very, very, uh, well, he tried very hard to discredit everything I said. He uh, accused me of all kinds of things, from like a shabby marital affair to seeking publicity to just downright lying. <laughs> Arlen Inspector's a dick. Yeah, uh, what a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I, I could have pulled way better examples than this, but this one just happened to be at the end of this, so I, I left it on. But see if you can hear. Uh, it's Without the visuals of James Earl Jones looking confused all the time, it's not as quite as good, but see if you can hear this. 
He accused me of all kinds of things, from like a shabby marital affair to seeking publicity to just downright lying. Well, we have a, we have a telephone call. Uh, the call is uh, from Don S. in Atlanta, Georgia. What is your question, please? My question is, uh, who do you believe that the, uh, the, the Watergate burglars were acting in behalf of? That's for you, I think. Uh, why? I don't know. <laughs> what a game. Thank you. Next, Next caller. <laughs> did you hear the lady in the background going, go ahead, I did. Next question. Because they didn't want to get into the weeds of the Watergate thing. Yeah. And but it's that also kind of like, like. Several times. It's like, all right, all right. Well, it was one random. fucking ball of yarn like, at a time, fellas. <laughs> Jesus what about Christ. Watergate? You think the moon landing was real? <laughs> into the fucking Charlie Day meme with strings and pictures all over the place. <laughs> they what about the Watergate guys? <laughs> they actually do at the end of that documentary tie the assassins into Watergate and think that some of the assassins were actually Watergate burglars. Um, I don't know anything about that. It seemed a little. Well, it sh- <laughs> it's all tied together. Yeah, that seems like taking it a little too far. I mean, there were some of the same guys that were suspected assassins involved in both things, but that's the only connection. Oh, uh, cool. But, uh, yeah, so this this is another thing I did not ever piece together. That I, like seems like such a simple thing, but I've never heard it explained. They had a forensics es- expert on uh, talking about the bullet fragments. Because the magic bullets, like, everybody's explained how it... Right. Yeah, like, it, it made really seven work. wounds and then showed yeah. up... Pristine yeah. on a bed. In a yeah, hospital. but this guy actually breaks down the uh, the bullet fragments that were left inside Kennedy and Connolly that uh, debunks that as well. Something I hadn't heard before. The bullet that was found on the stretcher at the hospital, the hero of the single bullet scenario, in its original weight was 161 grains. The bullet that was found weighed 158.6 grains a loss of 1.5% of the original weight of the bullet. And yet, when you look at the x-rays of these two men, you see fragments of the bullet in four anatomic locations, with a significant fragment having been removed from the governor's wrist, and another piece to this day remaining in his left leg. If you put all these together, you clearly have an excess of 1.5% of the original weight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's that is something I had never considered though. It's like yeah. how can there how can there be more bullet fragments left over in them than would make up like you'd have a bullet and a half or more by that point. Yeah. It's the ever expanding bullet, man. Yeah. Pretty good. No, that's Pretty good. definitely baby's first red pill is that there wasn't a lone shooter at the JFK thing. Like Right. You have to be room temperature IQ to believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I cited that as like my main Big, because I was on this skeptic podcast the other day, and they were like, "Well, like, what made you get into conspiracies?" I was like, "Had it has to be JFK." Yeah, right. These guys were like, by the way, (laughs) these guys, uh, Booberry. I think Booberry was would have been a lot more mean to him than I was. He 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 talked about at the beginning of his show, uh, the latest behind the schemes, and he was like, 
I don't remember what he said. It's like these guys were dick bags or something. I don't remember what he called. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but it's it's like just imagine you're like um, just imagine you're talking to people. Fauci fanboys is like bro. It's basically talking to four Fauci fanboys. That's wild. Yeah, it was rough. People (laughs) really live this way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I won't talk Bill too Gates much. Bill Gates is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're nice people, but uh, yeah, they're yeah. wrong about everything. So, yeah, right. no, <laughs> it's it's hard to have like meaningful discussion with uh, people who always walk around with the blinders on. You know, yeah, people. With yeah, I mean, we were just ta- like the four of them were. We were just talking past each other. Oh, like yeah. it was clear that neither of us were going to do any convincing of each other, no matter what evidence was presented. So, but it was still a fun conversation. Good. It was nice to get out of my echo chamber of talking yeah. to people like you. Yeah. It's good I contrast. <laughs> I'll just I'll just reinforce all your crackhead beliefs. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. I love the old VHS sound. Oh, totally. <laughs> as many as 177 people have died simply for knowing too much. The moment. By the way, I have the list of that 177. People in the show notes. Uh, I saw. Is that the one with all the asterisks by the suspicious ones and shit? Yeah, and then there's um, a couple that weren't on the list. Let me see. Uh, There was yeah, yeah, Dorothy Killigan body count, man. Yeah, and it happened like within the couple years following it. Dorothy Killigan was a reporter who talked to Jack Ruby, and the next she said, "I'm going to blow the Kennedy case wide open," and the next day she was dead. They blew her wide uh, open. Yeah, bought a bunch of stuff like that, and she was like not a nobody. Like she was like your, like the equivalent of like a Matt Taibbi, or you know, she was like a not like some little nobody reporter. She was get like a pretty high up there. Yeah, huh. coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway, James Earl Jones. Kennedy was killed. Face. A massive cover up went into operation. Witnesses were threatened, and many were killed. Evidence was tampered with and destroyed, and documents were locked away under the guise of national security. There were many things you weren't supposed to see, like the paraffin test given to Oswald. It proved conclusively that Oswald had not fired a rifle that day, or the spy camera found in Oswald's possessions, issued to him by the U.S. government, or Oswald's letter to a Mr. Hunt requesting his next assignment. The only hunt we know of in this case is Howard Hunt of the CIA. By the way, Howard Hunt did a deathbed confession uh, before he died to his son that the CIA and Lyndon Johnson were involved in the assassination. Hmm. Howard Hunt was uh, one of the Watergate burglars. Oh, huh. We shared the same office with Oswald in New Orleans. There were intelligence connections to Oswald everywhere you looked, and every one of them was covered up. There was even advanced warning of the assassination received by the FBI that was locked away so you would never know. Roadblocks, cover-up, hiding the truth. Jim Garrison, district attorney in New Orleans, learned that the hard way. He got Ferry to talk, and Ferry started telling him amazing details of the assassination. All we gotta do... The word of Ferry's cooperation leaked out. I got a phone call here in my home from Dave Ferry. He was panicking and he was almost crying 
That's when the investigation leaked out. It was in the news made about the major investigation of the JFK. Uh, uh, I mean, like I say, panicking, they're, they're screaming at the, they're going to kill me. You know, why did you do this? You know, what happened? Ferry was Garrison's major link to the truth. Through him, Garrison would have proved Kennedy was killed in a conspiracy. It is said Ferry wrote two suicide notes, both typed and neither signed. It is said he died of a massive brain hemorrhage. But many people now believe Ferry was murdered. Without Ferry, Garrison was forced to find other witnesses. Oh, faggot. He got me by the balls. <laughs> I'll never get old. That should be the title of this episode. Yeah, watch us get taken down immediately. The one you just played is, is outstanding. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. What'd you guys what you guys think of the fairy thing? Did you look in, into that at all besides the context of the Oliver Stone movie? No, not, he, not he didn't sound happy. He didn't what? He didn't sound happy toward the no. end there. Yeah, and um, the, the fairy thing, opinion. like, <laughs> I was looking into him being involved in uh, the cancer research at Oak Ridge, but, like, that dude was a weird fuck. Like, he looked weirder than Joe Pesci did in the movie with, like, the fake eyebrows and the hair and all that. Um, hmm. Super weird. Him, Both him and Clay Shaw looked like just weird fucking dudes that you would well, be creeped were. at if you saw him in real life, but... right. Yeah, fairy. The whole fairy thing was super interesting because um, he's he's just got all these ties to everything, and it would. It's. It, I think if he hadn't died, he would. The the entire narrative of the JFK assassination, and especially that Garrison case, would have been totally different because he tied so many pieces together of the assassination. Like he was the tie between the FBI, the Cubans, the CIA, yeah, and Oswald. Yeah, like he was. Yeah around yeah. with all of them and I mean, got really, really, really the, the fact cakes. that he yeah, the fact that he wrote two suicide notes alone is you know pretty solid evidence that he was murdered I mean, who, yeah, and I typed mean, him who, out who does that and types them out exactly types you always write it by hand yeah, yeah always write yeah. it by hand and then like he he died in a way that wasn't a, like they didn't like they couldn't figure out why he died he had like a brain aneurysm and it was like natural brain causes hemorrhage. but then what yeah brain hemorrhage so then why would you Read a suicide note unless you were committing suicide. It just right. doesn't make any sense. What they really botched. I'm gonna. I'm g- my brain is gonna hemorrhage now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, he just like he just like flexes his head and goes like <laughs> until he dies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's how it works. I'm gonna so kill myself a- with my brain that got me by the balls. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a uh, David Lewis, one of Garrison's investigators assistant to the district attorney in New Orleans. Uh, this is the interview with him, uh, like, the day, either the same day or the day after that David Ferry died. Earlier this week, Lewis, the father of four, said he knew four or five men who were capable of being involved in the alleged plot to kill Kennedy. At his home today, Lewis told us he feels these men are still alive. In view of Ferry's death, Lewis was asked about his own safety. Well, it did shake me up. Uh... I have to tell you, it adds more fear for myself, no, but for my family, yes. Um, um, the possibility is there. I don't know if they want to get me, or they might get at me through my family. And this thing is something that really irritates me. Um, I think I've been exposed quite a little too much. But um, 
It's out. They know what I look like. They know who I am. They know where I work. So I don't know. But to most other questions, Lewis replied, the district attorney doesn't want me to say any more. It may be two more days before the cause of Ferry's death yesterday is known for sure. Vern Rotman, NBC News, New Orleans. Before NBC was getting the memo out to the local affiliates, like, hey, don't talk about this. Damn. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought, I don't know, I guess a, a lot of what I have left is just, like, some of those really old, like, at-the-time uh, reports of the uh, the Garrison case and some other stuff like that. But I guess we can finish okay. up with James Earl Jones. Get that out of the way. He learned of a Dallas policeman named... Oh, this is after Ferry dies. Uh, James Earl Jones is talking about trying to find other witnesses. Because this actually is... There's a lot of stuff like this that isn't in the movie. Because um, I guess it would have been like seven hours at that point. But He learned of a <laughs> Dallas policeman named Buddy Walters. Walters had been in Dealey Plaza when he found what appeared to be a fourth bullet. Walters originally described it as a 45 slug and then later uh, changed and said that he hadn't find a, found a bullet there. But there's photographic evidence from one of the Dallas newspaper photographers. Walters agreed to come to New Orleans and testify for that. That's right. Huh. Oh, sorry. I was muted. <laughs> what, guess what happened? I was like, what? <laughs> guess what happened to him before he testified is what I was asking. I was uh, did he shoot oh, himself in the back of the head? His, his brain hemorrhaged. <laughs> Yeah, uh, close Did enough. He, he got he got shot. Yeah. Before he got to New Orleans, Buddy was killed. Jesus Christ. Garrison found another Dallas policeman, Officer Roger Craig. Uh, Craig and another uh, policeman found the rifle. Uh, Craig and and uh, and others were the first to see the the spent shells near the window lined up in. Uh, in, in a direct row, about two inches apart, not the way shells fall when they're ejected uh, randomly from a gun, um, but placed there. It's public knowledge that Lee Harvey Oswald is OCD as fuck. So. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> set down very like, oh, wait, no, careful. wait, you gotta clean it up here. I brought my he broom and dustpan with me. He didn't care about the burns <laughs> on his fingers. He just had to set them down right proper, <laughs> side by side, parallel. Uh, so, guess what happened to Roger Craig before he could testify for Garrison? Did he get by piranhas? Hemorrhaged? <laughs> when he reported this, he was told to say it didn't happen. Hold your horses. But Craig persisted. He too agreed to help Garrison. So he got shot, but then he survived. <laughs> okay, let's make it really horrible. <laughs> he got shot, and then he survived. Craig survived. Like he fell off a ladder. Holy but shit. someone was certainly trying to keep him silent. Three more violent attempts were made on Craig's life. He kept surviving. His car blew up. His car blew up and he survived. Oh, Jesus. And he like got shot at like two more times and he he survived. That's like Farage, dude. Finally, Farage. we are told, he committed suicide. And he finally just couldn't handle anymore, so he killed himself. Really oh, Are we sure? Are, are we sure? <laughs> did, did he kill himself by brain hemorrhage? <laughs> Probably. He committed suicide. Yet Garrison was determined to find the truth. Okay. That one was... The Roger Craig shit is some of the craziest thing around the whole thing in Dallas because it's like that dude was, like, high profile by the time they were trying to kill him. Like, um, yeah, I have the clip of him here talking about... He was the guy that found Oswald's rifle in the book depository. Just at the head of the stairwell going downstairs. And Boone looked over into it, 
and said, here it is. Here's the rifle. So I immediately went over beside him and looked over, and there was a rifle. But we didn't touch it until Captain Fritz and Lieutenant Day from the ID department of the Dallas Police Department got there. Now, Captain Fritz was chief of homicide, and Lieutenant Day was from the Identification Bureau. They got there and uh, took some pictures of the rifle. And then uh, I believe Day pulled the rifle out and handed it to Captain Fritz, who held it up by the, uh, had a strap on it. He held it up by the strap and asked if anyone knew what kind of rifle it was. Well, by this time, Deputy Constable Seymour Weitzman had joined us. And uh, Weitzman was a uh, gun buff. He had a sporting goods store at one time. He was very good at, with weapons. And he said, it looks like a Mauser. And he walked over to Fritz. And Captain Fritz was holding the rifle up in the air. And I was standing next to Weitzman. We were standing next to Fritz, and we weren't any more than six or eight inches from the rifle, and stamped right on the barrel of the rifle was 7.65 Mauser. And that's when Watchman said, it is a Mauser, and pointed to the 7.65 Mauser stamp on the barrel. There's an intonation to that statement that it should mean something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the shells we found came from a 6.5 Italian rifle. You mean those three the cartridges? The two don't relate. Three cartridges that were found at the southeast corner. In the southeast corner. Came from a 6.5 Italian carbine. Incompatible. Yeah. So, it, so you had like that's why they had to get rid of Roger Craig because he was like. We found the rifle on the sixth floor of the school book depository by the <laughs> shells that went to an Italian Carcana, and this was a German Mauser. So right away, that's like the the whole thing falls apart with Roger Craig's testimony. No, no, yeah, absolutely. You can tell it's a Mauser by the way that it is. <laughs> and it's got Mauser printed on the side of the fucking gun. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this was a, a report from the day of the assassination uh, I, I think it's NBC or something like that. But yeah, this is the Dallas police, no fingerprints on the rifle. The Dallas police reported a moment ago that a foreign-made rifle believed to have been used in the shooting of the president had no fingerprints on it. It has been sent here to the FBI laboratory in Washington for an analysis. Well, they'll get to the bottom of it for fucking sure. <laughs> no, okay, but did you catch, like, the way that reporting was phrased? The Dallas police reported a moment ago that a foreign-made rifle believed to have been used in the shooting of... Foreign-made. Mm -hmm. They don't specify German right. or Italian. So it's almost like... <clears throat> I'm thinking, like, the reason there were no fingerprints on the rifle is because they were like, well, we can't use this Mauser, and so they got that uh, Italian Carcano, and but then there were no fingerprints on it, so they had to later get them off Oswald wherever, or just, like, lie and say they got Oswald's fingerprints on the rifle. Yeah. Because the rifle they found, they couldn't, like, send that one out. And that's why the news reports were like, oh, yeah, it was a foreign rifle. <laughs> they hadn't gotten the their story straight about it. It was Italian rather than German. 
So weird. The little things. Yeah. Last Roger Craig clip here. My name appeared in several books that had come out condemning the Warren Commission or so people began to come from all over the country and they'd come in and ask me if they could talk to me and ask me what happened on that day and I saw nothing wrong with telling them what I saw and heard you know I gave my statement so uh, the sheriff called me in and asked me what the people wanted that were coming down there and I told him they just wanted to talk to me about what happened and he said well you tell them when they come that you didn't see anything and you didn't hear anything <laughs> no yep. I'm not no. I'm not telling that Thank you. <laughs> no yep. and then he that was right before that was uh that interviews about a year before he got like shot god damn survived car blew up survived <laughs> Shot like, again. Uh, Farage dodged a bunch of assassination. <laughs> yeah. It was like a small airplane crash. Yeah. Like a poisoning. Uh, Dude, Nigel Farage is like the real life Mr. Magoo. Like, just <laughs> the world is collapsing around him and he just walks away without a scratch every time. Political Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> like, climbs out of a fucking wrecked plane and goes and gets a beer at a pub. <laughs> oh, <yay! laughs> uh. A bully for Farage. Oh. Well, I need well, to grab myself a drink. Drink a little drink, smoke a little smoke. Um, y'all want to take... <clears throat> y'all cool with taking 10 real quick? I'm into we'll that. Take a, yeah. Sure. A beer. Got and a I got, uh, I got a rap. Uh, I, I got a little... I'm going to be going through further than... Uh, a little quicker than I expected, so not too much more to go. And we can wrap it up with a nice powwow discussion and smoke a little bit and Talk about what we think about things. I'm hammered. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm Maybe down. I should just quit and shut the show down. <laughs> I don't know if I can do the show anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it. We're gone. It's over. <laughs> All right, I'll be back in 10. All right, see, I told you I can't be on air now. <laughs> see you in 10. Jim Garrison. Yes. Glad you came. Sorry about the precautions. Well, I just hope it was worth my while, Mr. I could give you a false name, but I won't. Just call me X. I've already been warned by the agency, Mr. Whoever, so this is another type of threat. I'm not with the agency, Mr. Garrison. And I assume if you've come this far, what I have to say interests you. But I'm not going to name names and tell you who or what I represent, except to say you're close. You're closer than you think. Okay. Everything I'm going to tell you is classified top secret. I was a soldier, Mr. Garrison. Two wars. I was one of those secret guys in the Pentagon who supplies the military hardware, the planes, bullets, rifles, for what we call black operations. Black ops. Assassinations, coup d'etat, rigging elections, propaganda, psych warfare, and so forth. World War II, I was in Romania, Greece, Yugoslavia. I helped evacuate part of the Nazi intelligence apparatus just before the end of the war. We used those guys in the fight against the communists. In Italy, 48, we stole the elections. France, 49, broke the strikes. Overthrew Carino in the Philippines. Our bins in Guatemala, Mozadeg in Iran. We were in Vietnam in 54, Indonesia, 58, Tibet, 59. Got the Dalai Lama out. 
They were good. Very good. Then we get into the Cuban thing. Not so good. Set up all the bases for the invasion. Supposed to take place in October 62. Mm -hmm. Khrushchev sent the missiles to resist the invasion. Kennedy didn't invade. And we were standing out there with our dicks in the wind. A lot of pissed off people, Mr. Garrison. Understand? I'll come to that later. So, 1963. I spent much of September 63 working on the Kennedy plan for getting all U.S. personnel out of Vietnam by the end of 1965. This plan was one of the strongest, most important papers issued from the Kennedy White House. His National Security Action Memo 263 ordered home the first 1,000 troops for Christmas. But then in November, one week after the murder of Vietnamese President Dien Bien Saigon and two weeks before the assassination of our president, a strange thing happened to me. The Panama... T-47. Sarah, is in there? The point is, the weapons need to be where the troops are, and that's... Colonel? Excuse me. I got a note saying you want to see me, General. I do indeed. You are going to the South Pole. I am? You are. Dr. Mooney's got all the details. I want you to check with him. Have yourself a nice vacation. I was sent by my superior officer. We'll call him Y. I was sent by General Y to the South Pole as the military escort for a group of international VIPs. I was on my way back in New Zealand when the president was killed. Now, Oswald was charged at 7 p.m. Dallas time with Tippett's murder. That's 2 o'clock in the afternoon of the next day, New Zealand time. But already, their papers had the entire history of this unknown 24-year-old man, Oswald. Studio picture, detailed biographical data, Russian information, and were pretty sure of the fact that he killed the president alone, although it took them four more hours before they even charged him with that crime in Dallas. It felt to me as if... Well, a cover story was being put out, like we would in a black op. Anyway, after I came back, I asked myself, why was I, the chief of special ops, selected to travel to the South Pole at that time to do a job that any number of others could have done? And I wondered if it could have been because one of my routine duties, if I had been in Washington, would have been to arrange for additional security in Texas. So I decided to check it out. And sure enough, I found out that someone had told the 112th Military Intelligence Group at 4th Army Headquarters at Fort Sam Houston to stand down that day over the protest of the unit commander, Colonel Wright. I believe it's a mistake. This is significant because it is standard operating procedure, especially in a known hostile city like Dallas, to supplement the Secret Service. I mean, even if we had not allowed the bubble top to be removed from the limousine, we would have placed at least 100 to 200 agents on the sidewalk without question. I mean, only a month before in Dallas, UN Ambassador Adlai Stevenson was spit on and hit. There had already been several attempts on de Gaulle's life in France. We would have arrived days ahead of time, studied the route, checked all the buildings, never would have allowed all those wide open empty windows overlooking Dealey, never. We'd have had our own snipers covering the area. The minute the window went up, they'd have been on the radio. We'd have been watching the crowd, packages rolled up, newspapers, coat over and out. Never would have let a man open an umbrella along the way. Never would have allowed that limousine to slow down to 10 miles an hour, much less take that unusual curve at Houston and Elm. You would have felt an army presence in the streets that day. But none of this happened. It was a violation of the most basic protection codes we have, and it is the best indication of a massive plot in Dallas. Now, who could have best done this? Black ops, Mr. Garrison. People in my business, people like my superior officer, could have called Colonel Reich and said, 
look, we have another unit coming from so-and-so providing security. You'll stand down. I mean, that day, in fact, there were some individual Army intelligence people in Dallas. I'm still trying to figure out who and why. But they weren't protecting client. And, of course, Oswald. Army intel had a Harvey Lee Oswald on file. And all those files have been destroyed. Many strange things were happening. And your Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with them. We had the entire cabinet on a trip to the Far East. We had one-third of a combat division returning from Germany in the air above the United States at the time of the shooting. At 12.34 p.m., the entire telephone system went out in Washington for a solid hour. And on the plane back to Washington, word was radioed from the White House Situations Room to Lyndon Johnson that one individual performed the assassination. Does that sound like a bunch of coincidences to you, Mr. Garrison? No. Not for one moment. The cabinet was out of the country to get their perceptions out of the way. Troops were in the air for possible riot control. The telephones didn't work to get the wrong stories from spreading if anything went wrong with the plan. Nothing was left to chance. He could not be allowed to escape alive. Well, I never thought things were the same after that. Vietnam started for real. It was an era of, I don't know, make-believe in the Pentagon and CIA. Those of us who'd been in secret ops since the beginning knew the Warren Commission was fiction. But there was something, something deeper, uglier. I knew Alan Dulles very well. I briefed him many a time in his house. But for the life of me, I still can't figure out why he was appointed to investigate Kennedy's death, the man who had fired him. Dulles, by the way, was General Wyeth's benefactor. I got out in 64, resigned my commission. I never realized Kennedy was so dangerous to the establishment. Is that why? Well, that's a real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the Mafia. Keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game prevents them from asking the most important question, why? Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Who? In 1961, right after the Bay of Pigs, very, very few people know about this, all right? I participated in drawing up National Security Action Memos 55, 56, General, 57. These are crucial documents, classified top secret. But basically in them, Kennedy instructed General Lemnitz, chairman of the Joint General, Chiefs, that from here on forward, the Joint Chiefs of Staff would be wholly responsible for all covert paramilitary action in peacetime. This basically ended the reign of the CIA. Splintered it, as JFK promised he would, into a thousand pieces. And now he was ordering the military to help him do it. This was unprecedented. I can't tell you the shockwaves that this sent along the corridors of power in Washington. This and, of course, the firing of Alan Dulles, Richard Bissell, and General Charles Cabell. All of them sacred cows and intel since World War II. They got some very upset people here. Kennedy's directives were never really implemented because of bureaucratic resistance. But one of the results was the Cuban operation was turned over to my department as Operation Mongoose. Mongoose was pure black ops. It was secretly based on the south campus of Miami University, which was the largest domestic CIA station. Budgeted annually over hundreds of millions of dollars. 300 agents, 7,000 select Cubans, 50 fake business fronts for laundering money, they waged non-stop war against Castro. Industrial sabotage, crop burning the works. 
And all of this came under the control of General Watt. All he did was take the rules of covert warfare he'd used abroad and brought them into this country. Now he had the people, the equipment, the bases, and the motivation. And don't underestimate the budget cuts that Kennedy called for in March of 63 either. Nearly 52 military installations in 25 states, 21 overseas bases. You're talking big money. You know how many helicopters have been lost in Vietnam? Hmm? Nearly 3,000 so far. Who makes that? Bell Helicopter. Who owns Bell? Well, Bell was nearly bankrupt when the First National Bank of Boston approached the CIA about developing the helicopter for Indochina usage. How about the F-111 fighter? General Dynamics of Fort Worth, Texas. Who owns that? Find out the defense budget since the war began. 75 going on 100 billion. Nearly 200 billion will be spent before it's over. In 1949, it was 10 billion. No war, no money. The organizing principle of any society, Mr. Garrison, is for war. The authority of the state over its people resides in its war powers. And Kennedy wanted to end the Cold War in his second term. He wanted to call off the moon race in favor of cooperation with the Soviets. He signed a treaty with the Soviets to ban nuclear testing. He refused to invade Cuba in 1962, and he set out to withdraw from Vietnam. But all of that ended on the 22nd of November, 1963. As early as 1961, they knew Kennedy was not going to go to war in Southeast Asia. Like Caesar, he is surrounded by enemies and something's underway. But it has no face. Yet everybody in the loop knows. Everything is cellularized. No one has said he must die. There's been no vote, nothing's on paper. There's no one to blame. It's as old as the crucifixion. A military firing squad. Five bullets, one blank, no one's guilty. Because everyone in the power structure who knows anything has a plausible deniability. There are no compromising connections except at the most secret point. But what's paramount is that it must succeed. No matter how many die, no matter how much it costs, the perpetrators must be on the winning side and never subject to prosecution for anything by anyone. That is a coup d'etat. Kennedy announces the Texas trip in September. At that moment, second Oswalds start popping up all over Dallas where they have the mayor and the cops in their pocket. General Y flies in the assassins, maybe from a special camp we keep outside Athens, Greece, pros. Maybe locals, Cubans, mafia hire, separate teams. Does it really matter who shot from what rooftop? Part of the scenery, right? I keep thinking about that day Tuesday, the 26th of November, the day after they buried Kennedy. Gentlemen, I want you to know I'm not going to let Vietnam go like China did. I'm personally committed. And I'm not going to take one soldier out of there till they know we mean business in Asia. Lyndon Johnson signs National Security Memo 273, which essentially reverses Kennedy's new withdrawal policy and gives a green light to covert action against North Vietnam, which provoked the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Just get me elected. I'll give you a damn war. In that document, lay the Vietnam War. I don't, I can't. I can't believe it. they killed him because he wanted to change things. In our time. Well, they've been doing it in all our country. History. Kings are killed, Mr. Garrison. Politics is power, nothing more. Oh, don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Do your own work, your own thinking. The size of this is 
Beyond me. Testify. Me? Testify. <laughs> no chance in hell. No, I'd be arrested and gagged, maybe sent to an institution, maybe worse, you too. Now, I can give you the background. You have to find the foreground, the little things. Keep digging. Remember, you're the only person to bring a trial in the murder of John Kennedy. That's important. It's historic. I haven't yet. I don't have much of a case. You don't have a choice anymore. You become a significant threat to the national security structure. They would have killed you already, but you got a lot of light on you. Instead, they're trying to destroy your credibility. They already have in many circles in this town. Be honest. Your only chance is to come up with a case. Something. Anything. Make arrests. Stir the shitstorm. Hope to reach a point, a critical mass, that'll start a chain reaction of people coming forward. Then the government will crack. Remember, fundamentally, people are suckers for the truth. And the truth is on your side, Bubba. I just hope you get a break. I don't buy it, Chief. Why would the FBI cover it up? I tell Lex it disappears from every single FBI office in this country. There's a word, Bill. Orders. Or a cover-up? Jesus, Bill. What? Don't you have enough proof for the FBI's complicity? Maybe I yes. got just a little bit more respect for this country's institutions. My God. How much more do you need? Huh? You tell me how the hell you gonna keep a conspiracy going on between the mob, the CIA, the FBI, and Army Intelligence, and who the hell knows what else, when you know for a fact you can't keep a secret in this room between 12 people? We got leaks everywhere. I mean, we are going to trial here, y'all. I mean, what the hell do we really got? Oswald, Ruby, Bannister, Ferret are dead. We should be investigating our mafia leads here in New Orleans. Now, I can buy that a hell of a lot easier than I can the government. Ruby is all mob, knows Oswald, sets him up. Hoffa, Traficante, Marcellus, they hire some guns to do Kennedy. And uh, the government doesn't want to open up a whole can of worms there because it used the mob to try to get to Castro. You know, Castro being assassinated by the... Mob by us, it sounds pretty wild to junk you, citizen. So, they close the book on JFK. Makes perfect sense to me. I don't doubt their involvement, Bill, but at a lower level. Oh, come on. Could the mob change the parade route, Bill? Or eliminate the protection for the president? Could the mob send Oswald to Russia and get him back? Could the mob get the FBI, the CIA, and the Dallas police to make a mess of the investigation? I mean, could the mob get the Warren Commission appointed to cover it up? Could the mob wreck the autopsy? I mean, could the mob influence the national media to go to sleep? And since when has the mob used anything but 38s for hits up close? Mob wouldn't have the guts or the power for something of this magnitude. Assassins need payrolls, schedules, times, orders. This was a military-style ambush from start to finish. This was a coup d'etat with Lyndon Johnson waiting in the wings. Oh, okay, so now you're saying Lyndon Johnson was involved? Huh, the president of the United States? I know States. this, Bill. Lyndon Johnson got $1 billion for his Texas friends, Brown and Root, to dredge Comron Bay for the military in Vietnam. Boss, oh, for boss, are you calling the president a murderer? But if I'm so far from the truth, why is the FBI bugging our offices? Huh? Why are our witnesses being bought off and murdered? Why, why are federal agencies blocking our extraditions and subpoenas when we were I don't, never I don't, blocked I don't before? know. I don't, I don't Maybe there's some rogue element in the government or something. Oh. conspiracy to cover it up? You ever read your Shakespeare, Bill? 
Yeah, I do. Julius Caesar? Brutus and Cassius, they too are honorable men. Who killed Caesar? 10, 12 senators. All it takes is one Judas bill. A few people on the inside. Pentagon, CIA. This is Louisiana, Chief. I mean, how the hell do you know who your daddy is? Because your mama told you so. You are way out there taking a crap to win, boss. And I, for one, am not going along on this one. When you shit outside, it's not going to be a decent shit. Yeah. <laughs> Two yeah. drunk guys. <laughs> Two drunk gay guys. Reopen that 9-11 investigation. What really happened there? <laughs> the piano makes that John Tron clip twice as good. <laughs> Reopen that 9-11 investigation. What really happened there? <laughs> I'd like to go through some ISOs. <laughs> <laughs> In the 70s, I, had, I was fucking 25 fat girls to get them to go get diet pills. All the fat girls in town was over at my house. <laughs> I said, baby, go on over there and get them pills now and come on back over here. <laughs> and I mean, I had all the fat women in town bringing me speed in the 70s till they cut that out. You know, in about 73, Noah, Noah, you couldn't get no diet pills. <laughs> I kind of like that one. Oh, yeah. And I just wish I had time I'd get on one of those boats. <laughs> I'm from Tennessee, and I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. Yo, it's 2016, and if you're not cool with homosexuals in your schools teaching your kids about butt sex... Two drunk gay guys... <laughs> Do you know how to make a brass monkey? Too drunk, Giga. No, I don't. Fill me in on this. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested. You drink, uh, I think it's like a fourth of an Old English, and then you fill it up with orange juice. A brass monkey is orange juice in Old English. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's, uh, if you ever listen to the old Beastie Boy song, they sing about a brass monkey. Oh, yeah. That is oh, how everybody's you... Everybody's heard the brass monkey. Yeah, a Beastie Boy's the shit, yeah. The best Jewish but, uh, fucking that... rap group you ever heard. <laughs> okay, let's make it really horrible. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jingles. Jewish rock! I love Jews! The one you just played is, is outstanding. So you retarded? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I'm getting more wine. No, help yourself. $36 a bottle. Please enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, that cheese we tried that I liked, couldn't figure out what it was. It was Swiss cheese. Oh, <laughs> well, shall we well, continue? Sure. We shall. Onward. In the 70s, I, had, I was fucking 25 fat girls. <laughs> that was a big thing <clears throat> now that we're back I have a public service announcement to make Oh, if you're listening Whoa. to this and you have my DVD copy of the director's cut of Oliver Stone's JFK I want it back I don't know who has it I know somebody does call 911 <laughs> uh, 
You know another thing about that movie that I've always just found incredible? Uh, Newman from Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. The character he plays in that movie is Newman. What? <laughs> yeah, like they call him Newman in the movie JFK. Oh, how did I miss that? <laughs> yeah. blew my mind. What the motherfuckers, dude? That might have even come out before Seinfeld because it was 91. When did Seinfeld start? No, no uh, Seinfeld was It was going that. on right during then, yeah. Yeah. Seinfeld was like, what, 89, 90? Yeah, something in 89. Maybe I'm wrong. And it hit a long run. Let's IMDB this shit. Figure it out, man. We got the technology. <laughs> Bro, I'm so fucking comfy. Uh, I wish I had the Seinfeld base at my disposal. I got a my pillow, actually. And oh, he just, just got banned from today. Twitter, the MyPillow guy. I saw Nin- that. 1989. I fucking nailed it. Synchronicity. I I'm psychic. It. <laughs> fucking genius. I, kind of, I didn't realize shit. it was. Bow, 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 bow. Kramer. You got it. Oh, my God. We had this uh, when just, just DC Girl and, and Goof and those guys and Prof War were on. Like, Prof War in Seattle, apparently, like, the dude in the apartment across the hall is just, like, this methed out dude. And Goof was, like, <laughs> he said he just, like, knocks on the door and comes into the apartment sometimes just to hang out. Nice. And Goof was, like, oh, he's your Kramer. <laughs> and like during the during the podcast, that dude kept knocking on the door trying to get in, and every time he did, I would play like the Seinfeld intro music, <laughs> and they were fucking losing it. And like he was like mad because he was out in the hall trying to figure out why like DC girl and him were or were just like cackling because <laughs> they'd be playing the Seinfeld music every time he tried to come in. Oh it's ridiculous. God. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, we left off with Roger Craig. I do want to talk about Dean Andrews a little bit, just because. That dude was a living cartoon character. John Candy played him in the movie. But, uh, like, he's... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Bing, boom, looks... bop, a do a lot, daddy-o, with your cherry-o's on your spaghetti-o's. Yeah, it was, it's ridiculous. Like, he, uh, after he got indicted for perjury by Jim Garrison, like, there's this NBC report. I didn't clip it. Um, because I clipped a different couple different ones, but I didn't clip the one where he's, like, not allowed to talk because he's... <laughs> His lawyers advised him not to talk about the case. And so Dean Andrews, they're like, he said he would speak with his actions if we came down to this place. And it's like this Mardi Gras <laughs> bar, and he's just dancing oh with an God. umbrella, like twirling an umbrella. Oh, and geez. NBC like played. It was the most bizarre. But he looks just like John Candy. Like he's fat. He's got the same sunglasses, That's smoking cigarettes wild. constantly. It was. But yeah, I have a clip in here, so we'll go with Dean Andrews. You don't want to be The name Clem Berkman was first introduced by a lawyer named Dean Andrews, who told the Warren Commission a person by that name telephoned him, suggesting he provide legal defense for Lee Oswald. Three years later, Garrison suggested to Andrews that Andrews identify Shaw as Bertrand. Andrews said he told Garrison he wouldn't say if Shaw was or was not Clay Bertrand. And the same as Clay Shaw. You say I identified him. I don't know if I did or I did not. Since then, Garrison has taken his former friend, Dean Andrews, before the grand jury where he's been indicted for perjury. Before that happened, Andrews talked with us. Man, I wouldn't know Clay Shaw if I fell across him on the street dead. Can you say positively that the person you knew as Clay Bertrand is not the person you have seen as Clay Shaw? Scout's honor, he is not. <laughs> he looks just like John Candy and he's just chain smoking and fucking just doesn't give a shit. 
Was he uh, a scout? You can't go pulling no fucking scouts yeah, on her if you weren't say, a man. Stolen valor. Stolen, stolen valor as fuck, man. I'm call, and I'm I gotta say, was that like news clip recorded in a prison yard? What was all that fucking back like background? Like, fucking... oh, it's because um, caught him at a poker were... game. <laughs> well, it, he was. They had footage of Dean Andrews getting like hassled by reporters after he left being indicted for uh, perjury. Because this is in the height gotcha. of the Clay Shaw Jim Garrison trial. And Dean Andrews was like, if you read uh, Jim Garrison's book, which is part of what the uh, movie's based on, Jim Garrison said like, because him, him and Dean Andrews went to law school, to get school together or whatever, and Dean Andrews is like a better call Saul type sleazeball lawyer. I and like it. He was, he was just freaked out. Gotta have a couple out. of those in your role dude. <laughs> yeah. And he was just freaked out because like, he was, he was in the Warren Commission as like being called, uh, his testimony is totally inconsistent he was supposed to represent oswald after the shooting because clay shaw or clay bertrand uh called and asked him to represent oswald and uh but yeah here's john candy just it's just a figment of my imagination the cat's stealing you the oyster's shucking you i told him you got the right <laughs> top top but the wrong whole hole boyfriend's <laughs> not shot scout's honor and you can tell him i said so objection your honor this office has won a conviction of perjury against Dean Andrews on this matter. All right, so I got this is from the hit piece that NBC did on Jim Garrison before the Clay Shaw trial, just saying like Jim Garrison was basically uh, not even a conspiracy theorist. They were saying he was like uh, criminally bribing and drugging and and abusing witnesses mm-hmm. and bribing them and all that. But yeah, this is from they interviewed Dean Andrews on this NBC hit hit piece, and this is like. <laughs> the guy is like a cartoon character. It's crazy. Now, did, you, did Mr. Garrison at one point ask you about certain operations across Lake Pontchartrain? Across the lake. Yes, I think we'd discuss that. Did he ask you if you knew any of the people involved? I think he did. <laughs> What'd you tell him? Uh, Manny Garcia Gonzalez and Ricardo Davis. Did you know Mr. Gonzalez? No. Did you know Mr. Davis? No. Where did you get those names? Out the air. He just reaches up and grabs the air and <laughs> goes, the air. Out the air. <laughs> out, out the air. Out the air or your derriere. these names were fictional as far as you were concerned? Well, I'm trying to see if this cat's kosher, you know. <laughs> this so cat's kosher. So he's kosher, I don't know, uh... You dig, you dig. So you just picked two names out of the air. Right. Now, why did you do that? Well, I don't know what he's up to. He's picking me like chicken, shucking me like corn, stewing me like an oyster. I mean, he ain't putting nothing down but air. So I'll give him two names, see which way he's going. In other words, you made up two names to see what he was going to do with them. Mm-hmm. Right. What did he do with them? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Hadn't done anything yet. Well, have you had any occasion to... Have him talk to you about either of those names since then? Uh, about two weeks ago, on a Saturday, we're talking, and he picks up uh, a weapon with an item number on it. What kind of a weapon? Pistol. Semi-automatic. Black. Probably 7.6 millimeter. I didn't examine it. Huh. And says that Manny Garcia Gonzalez in Miami or someplace down there got busted for carrying a concealed weapon. And I told him, Manny Garcia Gonzalez was never busted in his life. I didn't believe it. He put the weapon back down. We talked some more. 
And that was it. I left. Did he tell you this was a gun taken from this man? When from he was... Emmanuel Garcia Gonzalez. When now, he was... I don't know if the Manuel Garcia Gonzalez he's talking about is for real. If the Manny Garcia Gonzalez is the name that I pulled out of the air. This I cannot say. What was, your what was your conclusion from that conversation? Well, if it's the Manuel Garcia Gonzalez that I told him, he's got the right ta-ta, but the wrong ho-ho. <laughs> you can see, and you can see his like his t- he's always wearing those sunglasses oh and he's God. always got a cigarette he's smoking and he's in the court testimonies even he's just the exact same way like he's just <laughs> and it also I sounds like FBI, every... that was a figment of my imagination i i made up that call in the warren commission i didn't know how tall he was i like he could have been five foot five he could have been six foot two i don't know he's just like changing his story constantly they get a flim flam man daddy oh i mean (laughs) (laughs) you keep on asking questions sniffing around and uh 420 blackbird's gonna bake you in a pie (laughs) and then he gets indicted for perjury uh and they interview him from jail and he's just, I don't have the clip, but he's just like the same. He has, his attitude has not changed. He's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> but here's, here's how the NBC hit piece, it's like an hour-long hit piece they did on Jim Garrison. Here's how it ends. Now, we cannot say that the murder of John F. Kennedy did not happen the way Jim Garrison says it did. Then don't. We cannot say he does not have the evidence to prove it. Then don't. We can say this. The case he has built against Clay Shaw is based on testimony that did not pass a lie detector test that Garrison ordered, and Garrison knew it. One prospective witness admitted in advance he was going to lie. Members of Garrison's staff, in trying to strengthen the case against Shaw, have threatened and offered inducements to potential witnesses. The results of his four months of public investigation have been to damage reputations, to spread fear and suspicion, and worst of all, to exploit the nation's sorrow and doubts about President Kennedy's death. Jim Garrison has said, let justice be done. Though the heavens fall, we seek the truth. So do we. Good night. This program was produced by NBC News, which is solely responsible for its content. Just to show you the corporate media. (laughs) Just to show you the corporate media has always been that bad. Mm -hmm. Fucking opinion piece at the end there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad, man. But since Jim Garrison is such a total fucking badass, he threatened litigation against NBC after that. Yeah. Before the Clay Shaw trial. And NBC had to give him a half hour of uninterrupted airtime to respond. Nice. So this is how that starts out. The following time period has been made available to District Attorney Jim Garrison of New Orleans to reply to an NBC News program broadcast on June 19th. In that program, NBC News examined some of the methods used by Mr. Garrison in his investigation of what he charges was a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. Except for the opening and closing announcements, this program has been prepared under Mr. Garrison's sole supervision. Mr. Garrison. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about truth and about fairy tales, about justice and about injustice. In the months to follow, you're going to learn that many of the things which some of the major news agencies have been telling you are untrue. No you're going help. to learn that although you are citizens of the United States, Information concerning the cause of the death of your president has been withheld from you. In the months to come, you will learn to your own satisfaction that President Kennedy was not killed by a lone assassin. You will learn that there has been and continues to be a concerted effort to keep you from learning these facts. And you will learn, I assure you, that what I have been trying to tell you 
and what I'm telling you tonight is true. As children, we become accustomed to hearing fairy tales. They're always pleasant stories, and they're comforting to hear because good always triumphs over evil. At least, this is the way it is in fairy tales. Fairy tales are not dangerous for our children, and are probably even good for them up to a point. However, in the real world in which you and I must live, fairy tales are dangerous. They're dangerous because they're untrue. Anything which is untrue is dangerous. And it is all the more dangerous when the fairy tale becomes accepted as reality simply because it has an official seal of approval or because honorable men announce that you must believe it or because powerful elements of the press tell you that the fairy tale is true. The conclusion of the Warren report that President Kennedy was killed by a lone assassin is a fairy tale. So he goes on for another half hour to wow. break it down, so and he powerful. pulls out like a, on NBC after they shit on him, he gets to pull out like a chart with a magic bullet and Warren Commission you know, stuff. It was so pretty, badass. It's awesome. It's pretty irritating that like, this guy is probably one of the biggest American heroes of the 60s. And uh, nobody, I mean, I knew about all the JFK shit for years and years, but I didn't really like pick up on this guy in particular, right, yeah. you know? Well, because he wasn't was even cued never... into him until, until I watched that Stone flick, and it was like, you know, he's the main protagonist, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, this right. is a guy I got to do a deep dive on. Who's never American properly Hero. nationally se- celebrated, correct? Yeah, he's, he, I, he, I put him up there with Robert Kennedy Jr. as far as the forces he's go, he went against. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I have uh, the Garrison tapes, the documentary, and then a bunch of original Jim Garrison footage in the show notes, and just all kinds of shit in the show notes that people can dig into. It's uh, at least over 40 hours of video alone, plus uh, between all the documentaries and footage, and then you got documents and articles so show notes are jam-packed for anybody that's interested and maybe with like all these tons of clips that i had gotten over the last year and didn't use any of them tonight i might on my own time try to make an episode out of that too just for the layman but i don't that's know what do you idea, uh, yeah. what do you guys <clears throat> what do you guys think i got four clips left i figured i've been kind of hogging the airtime so i wanted i don't know do you think this will ever happen? Do you think like we'll see a public assassination of a president under these similar circumstances ever again? Not I don't with- know. I wouldn't say like in a in the same ways because they fucked so many things up um, that they could hit him with a heart attack gun or cancer gun too. Right? They've they've evolved so much since then in their abilities right. and shit. So no, not mm-hmm. in such a public kind of gruesome way is that no exactly because it doesn't work as well there's better ways to do it without you know upsetting the entire global order even temporarily i mean especially if you have control of the election system then yeah you don't right. even have exactly. to resort to assassinations yeah. exactly you have a puppet and who you know just enacts your will signs whatever executive order you hand his way <laughs> Yep. That's always been the argument with Trump, though, is for why he might have been, like, at least deep state light, is they didn't kill him, so he must not have been that much of a threat. Yeah. There's always a... 
There's always that speculation, but I mean, there's guys that dodge the shit, and there's guys that uh, have the network that protects them too. You know, mm-hmm. I don't Donald know. Donald Trump does pose an excellent strength to this. The it's not hypothetical. <laughs> no system. Fool no, can't first. get fooled again. <laughs> uh, man, I, yeah, I can't believe. I mean, maybe Biden. God forbid. I'm not advocating for this, but maybe Biden will be the first presidential assassination we'll see in a while, and it'll be like in a like oh he died of old age kind of a way. They won't like shoot him, but they'll yeah, no, yeah, say the COVID got him or something. Exactly. Yeah. Something might, natural know, for, for his legacy. Just have him like develop a convenient disease and step down. You know. Yep. Did so Reagan step all, down or did he finish I mean, out his term? I can't even remember. Well, when he had the well, dementia. Hang on one second. I mean, I Biden literally said that he would do that. Right. Yeah. He did. He did mention. He did that. Say, it to Kamala. Said, Kamala's like shaking yeah. her head, like what? He said, "We'll do he it." Hinted like it with might Barack. have been he in said, the plan. <laughs> if we have a fundamental disagreement of opinion, that's just too big. I'll just develop some sort of disease or something and have to step down. Right. Like he said that in an interview. <laughs> yeah. Not a joke. And Kamala, and Kamala was standing right next to him, like smiling, but shaking her head, looking like, at Joe. No. Like, like, no. She's like, what? Hey. <laughs> uh. Cocksucking faggot. He got me by the balls. Got me by the balls. I, that has to be the title of this episode. I cannot put cocksucker just, or faggot, especially faggot, in the title. It uh, will you, you immediately you that you will I lose mean, your Apple may, Store key forever. Can you? Could you? I mean, like, can you? Can you, I mean you mark it explicit? But can you put uncensored swear words or especially slurs in the title? I've never tried, but I can't imagine it would be good. Yeah. Could you put like a zero? I don't think explicit blocks you from o. hate speech, bro. <laughs> well, and like, well, you, but what if I put a couple could, letters? Could you put "fuck" in the title of an episode? I don't think yes. you can. Can you? I think you can do that. Yeah, I oh, don't really? know though. I thought it had to be like censored to be on. Well, I don't know. They might auto bot that. They, they might, might auto censor it, it on certain platforms. Yeah. Well, what yeah. about what about they got me by the balls? Would that be acceptable? Oh yeah, that's no problem. I could just call it by the balls. By the balls. Bowl after balls. I think we had com. one called My Balls Were Never Better. <laughs> which was just fine. There you go. I mean, if you can't say balls, then we're fucked, dude. Right. <laughs> you don't know shit because you never been fucked in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> that one gets me every fucking time. There's so many good little... That that movie was so quotable. I, I, I love it. Um, so I... I actually pulled these clips the day before he died, but we got a little Larry King appreciation clips if you want to go through those to him. Okay. These are pretty interesting. Sure. Uh, Larry, what was Larry, what was Larry King's opinion about JFK's assassination? Here we go. <laughs> All right, I'm interviewing Jim Garrison. He's a district attorney from New Orleans, and he is investigating the Kennedy murders on his own. Later led to the movie JFK. Got to know Jim pretty good, liked him. And he was convinced that there was a plot, that Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy, it was set up. He may have been part of it, but there was a lot involved. Could have gone back to Cuba. He traced a lot of things, and he thought he was onto something big. Eventually a trial that he lost. So I was friends with Lou Wolfson, who recently passed away. He was a big financier in Miami, known as the great raider of the 50s, and 
interesting guy, and Lou and I were pretty close. And uh, so Lou, I had dinner with him subsequent to that, and he said, what would you think of Jim Garrison? He said, that's really interesting. Because Lou was into conspiracies a lot. So I said, well, I, I don't know Jim Garrison, but I thought he was a hell of an interview, a hell of a story. He said, well, let's ask Dick Gerstein, and Dick was the district attorney in Miami. What does he think? So Dick says, well, I don't know the particulars of the Kennedy story, but I, I have great respect for Jim Garrison. And by the way, later became a judge. He said, uh, I, you know, I'm sure Jim thinks he, he's in on something, right? He's, you know, he's not a charlatan. He's not looking for headlines. This is kind of a shaggy dog story, but it's worth it. Jim says that he feels he's got the story. I don't know the story. So Lou Wolfson said, Let's, can we set up a dinner? So we had dinner. Me, Dick Gerstein, Lou Wolfson, and Jim Garrison. Now remember, I'm still a heady kid in the, all of this. I'm only in the business just 15 years, maybe 10. You know, I'm still, whoa. Lou Wolfson was like a hero to me. <laughs> so we're talking, we're talking, and Lou looks at Jim Garrison and says, what do you need? Jim says, well, um, the state of Louisiana is going to stop financing this, financing this thing I'm on because they, you're running out of money. He, what do you need? He said, well, I need $25,000. So Lou Wolfson, I tell you what, I'll give you $5,000 a month for five months to aid in your investigation. And how do we get the first 5000 to you? We want to do this in cash. So Dick Gerstein says, uh, so Garrison Based. says, uh, okay, Lou says, all right, Larry, you come to my house. I'll give you 5000 And he was a control freak. And uh, are you going back tomorrow? Yeah. So Larry, you drive Garrison to the airport and give him the 5000 I said, okay. Now, in the subsequent months, we'll set it up. Gerstein will deliver it. Or I, I wasn't going to Orleans, so Dick will get it. Somehow we'll get it to him. So I drove him to the airport and gave him the 5000 By the way, when he got out of the car, I'll never forget this, gets out of the car, looks in on the driver's side, on the passenger's side, and says to me, they're going to kill Robert Kennedy. It's the last words Jim Garrison ever said to me. Damn. Fuck. Wow. He knew. It also, they, I didn't clip it because it's, from a longer interview, but it's in the show. It's Larry King goes on to say that he was doing these drops for Jim Garrison, giving him $5,000 a month from Gerstein or whoever. And Larry King, like he's young and he owed back taxes to the IRS. So he ended up pocketing and paying five, using that 5,000 to pay the IRS. And then he was going to get it back to Garrison and Garrison ended up indicting Larry King. Oh God. Because <laughs> Larry oh my King God. stole his money. Jesus. He ended up dropping the charges, but I just thought that was so funny. That is fucking funny, dude. <laughs> that bastard Larry King. <laughs> but it's, it's hilarious. It's crazy that Larry King was like, you know, uh, the middleman for funding Garrison's investigation. That is wild. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then uh, I have one more Larry King clip up from that. But also, yeah, it's just how eerie that is. Like the last thing he says to Larry King is they're going to kill Robert Kennedy. Oh, man. Wild. That's wild. Yeah. So I got. I think this one's a little shorter, but yeah, one more Larry King since uh, you know R.I.P. I did see some stuff. Gary. Oh, by the way, Dvorak's the story of being on Larry King. <laughs> Larry fell asleep. Oh yeah. That had me, that had me howling. I've got to dig up the shit. Dvorak and Larry <laughs> King. Come on, we got to find that. I know. I was. I googled it. I couldn't. I. I googled Dvorak I Larry King. I couldn't find it. But. Hmm. I didn't try to look. I didn't look super hard. I looked, like, did one search, so. 
Yeah, that'll be you know especially for if we can fact find... he's got it. Yeah. The archivist. <laughs> yeah. I did see some stuff Garrison had hmm. that never got into the press or into the trial that has always left me open on this. An interview with a pilot. He played the interview for us at that dinner. A pilot who was hired by this guy in, in New Orleans to fly to Dallas. He's gonna pick up a passenger at the airport. Didn't give him the name, but described him with fit the description of Lee Harvey Oswald. You wait at the Dallas airport. This kid's gonna come, take him to Mexico. And he paid him $5,000, this pilot, and you'll get another five when you come back. It's always $5,000. And we'll pay for the plane and everything. He said, well, I'm at the airport, the guy never came. <laughs> I'm listening to this on tape. And Garrison said to Kirsty, what would you do with this? The pilot eventually died of a heart attack. A heart <laughs> attack that people questioned. But I heard that tape. I'm a totally believable guy. What did he have to lose? You know, the guy never came. I interviewed the cop who arrested Lee Harvey Oswald. My life's been a swirl. No he shit. arrested him in the movie theater yeah. after he shot Tippett. Oswald said only one thing on the drive from the movie theater to the jail. I'm a patsy. Mm-hmm. He didn't say he's innocent. He didn't say just I'm a patsy. What does patsy mean? Patsy lends you to think that he was involved in this and someone was supposed to be downstairs at the book depository that wasn't there. And he panicked, ran around, shot Tippett, ran to a movie theater. Why would he use Patsy? Then he had to be killed, didn't he? See, this is for the conspiracy theorists. Because if Oswald, he's gonna have a ton of information. So you gotta get somebody to kill him who's totally like an innocent. You get Jack Ruby, who loves the Kennedys and who's crazy. <laughs> get Jack Ruby to do it. You can't do it. You, the conspirator, you're gonna get caught, but you gotta get rid of Oswald. By the uh, way, I love the casting, too, for Jack Ruby in the JFK movie. Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. The the Flying Dutchman on SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, when... Oh, Star roll. Every time I hear about him getting the fucking injections in jail, it's just like, nah. Yeah. For, for quote, unquote, tests. Yeah, I mean, it's like, hello. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that, and now they've rolled those out on a massive scale, the cancer vaccines. Man, the one thing I will say about the whole JFK and the conspiracy and the time that's passed and, you know, the conclusive thought is always like, well, when will the truth finally come out? When will the truth finally come out? Man, the truth has been out almost the right. entire fucking time. The truth is already out. It's been out. More will come out, I'm certain, over mm -hmm. a long enough timeline, but... Like the main chunks are there and they're accessible and they've been Hollywood movified. I mean, fuck. Yeah. It's like that's amazing. Just Warner the, Brothers greenlit that movie. The, it is kind of yeah. wild. You and and think, the, well, you like, know, it's I didn't pull a clip, but Oliver Stone said they were they were government spooks um, infiltrating the set. They kept stealing versions of the scripts and leaking them to the press. So like the, oh. the movie was being smeared as Russian propaganda before it even came out. In the news. <laughs> Jesus. That's the, the Russia thing is always a go-to. Right. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, the cold war era is still on. It's just 
because all the same people are still running the shit. I mean, Kissinger only got pushed out within the last couple months at his little fucking Pentagon shit. Didn't he back in with Biden? I don't know, likely. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Who knows what's fucking real? Yeah. Not you and me. Dude, oh, by the way, I loved your episode last night because you, you pointed out so many anomalies about the Biden presidency I didn't know about. Like, I knew the National Guard turned their backs on him when he drove by. Yeah. A lot of the other stuff, I was like, whoa, because I didn't know about So I do want to say, uh, I was talking about the 21-gun salute thing, mm-hmm. and I had read what I read wrong because I, I think I said something like 30-gun salute or something that doesn't exist. But uh, I made a note of it. Let me see if I can find it. The the setup was different. So if you look at Trump's salute, there's four cannons there, which I think, uh, like I said, I know very little about military procedure. But four cannons is the typical setup you have for the 21 gunner. And then they fire at every three-second intervals, so it's kind of a speedy blam, blam, blam. And then this thing, I read, it's actually uh, what was typed was three guns with shots at 10-second intervals, which is what Biden got. And I somehow did multiplication in my head unnecessarily and made that into like a 30-gun salute. But it's called a three-volley salute. Oh, right, yeah. And that's the thing that's supposedly reserved for foreign dignitaries or funerals. Oh, weird. Rather than the 21-gun salute that the commander-in-chief gets. Hmm. Interesting. You ever figure out the colorful shoes? I'm still in the dark with colorful shoes. Although Booberry mentioned something about red shoes. He was like, is this about the red shoes? And I was like, uh, I don't know. What do you know about red shoes? You know, but I didn't follow up on it because all I read was just a line about colorful shoes. It was literally like the colorful shoes in quotes on this long, like rundown I saw of different anomalies. So I just wrote down, oh, colorful shoes. I wonder what that connects to. And I never found anything about it other than it was an item that I thought was kind of interesting. Was it Biden's colorful shoes? I don't know. I don't know whose shoes or what color they were. I don't know nothing about it. Be cool if they changed colors. I was combing around me like the colorful shoes. I think they put this shit in there on purpose just to send you on goose chases, honestly. <laughs> I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed, I have one gear. Go. Go. He's so good. Yeah, like, okay, so like what I'm curious about is what the Q PSYOP is going to transform into with Biden. You know, like, I mean, I've been saying it was a side had for running that years, but I was so wanting it to be real. I was so wanting it right. to be real. But it's basically verified at this point that just a lot of that was, I mean, turned out to be bullshit, obviously. It was, it seemed like it was run by the, I mean, it would make the most sense at this point if like Hillary and Kissinger and people like that were running the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. Uh, what do you guys... I, I got two clips left. What do you guys know about Charles V. Harrelson? Uh, not enough to write a book about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. This will be fun. Okay, so he he got arrested. Um, he, he killed at least, I think, five people. He was a hitman. And okay. he got arrested while he was coked up um, by police. And he was... Claiming to have killed, he said, I killed JFK a bunch. And he was like yelling it. And Jesus. he said similar similar things other times. But um, as far as I know, he's still in, actually he might be dead now, but he had a life sentence for killing a judge. But uh, 
He's he was photo. He's a dead ringer for like you know those three hobos, the tramps that got arrested and let go with no record of their arrest, but there's photographs. Yeah. Yep. He was he's a dead ringer for the middle one. The uh, extra so yeah, this clean is, hobos. Yeah. So this is Pristine Charles, hobos. <laughs> Charles V. Harrelson. In the confusion the following the assassination, the police arrested a dozen suspects in and around Dealey Plaza. All were later released. Three of those taken into custody were discovered in the marshalling yards close to the book depository hiding in a railroad boxcar, which was about to leave the area. No official record exists of who they were or what they were doing, yet their arrest was widely photographed by the press. They have become known as the Three Tramps. It was determined in uh, late 1970s and early 1980s that one of the Three Tramps, the taller of the, of the three, bore a striking resemblance to a man by the name of Charles V. Harrelson, who was convicted of killing a federal judge in San Antonio, Texas, a man who uh, claims to have killed at least five people previously, has been tried for some of those, and a man who has all of the right connections. Charles Harrelson is one of America's most notorious criminals. He's currently serving a life sentence for murder in a maximum security jail. On November 22nd, 1963, I was with a friend at 12.30 in the afternoon having lunch in a restaurant in Houston. So he denies it now. But, it wouldn't yeah. be the first time I've been accused of being somewhere I wasn't, and I probably won't be the last. But no, I, I did not kill John Kennedy. He, yeah, that's what you would say. Organized crime figures, <laughs> the Dallas Underworld, uh, Santos Traficante, uh, Carlos Marcello, uh, R.D. Matthews, considered the strong-arm man in Dallas in 1963, and Ruby claimed that he was his best friend. Best friend so, Jack uh, Ruby. you have all of these connections, and uh, though they don't say specifically, hey, Charles Harrelson is guilty of participating in the murder of the President Kennedy, but there is significant evidence that would make, I think, any investigator want to look at Mr. Harrelson very, very closely. So did you recognize that when he was talking, saying he didn't kill Kennedy, did you recognize his voice at all? Mm-mm. Okay, you might recognize his son's voice. It's uh, fairly well known, if anybody's read anything about you or talked with you, that <laughs> when you were seven years old, your father <laughs> went off to prison, convicted of murder. Tell me how you feel today, what the story is today. Well... He is yeah. in prison oh, right now for uh, the killing of a federal judge. Um, I think that it was not a fair uh, trial, especially because the guy who supposedly hired my father to commit the murder was uh, later acquitted on a retrial. Woody, do you think your father is innocent of that second murder? That's what I've heard. I'm not saying my father's a saint, but I think he's innocent of that. Yeah. Are you trying to have the case opened up, trying to have it investigated, trying to set him free? Well, um, let's put it this way. I haven't given up hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said <laughs> once that you thought that Damn. your father was a CIA operative. Yes? Yeah, he was. <laughs> How do you know? What proof? Oh yeah, I shouldn't get into this right now. Okay. This is where we're going to get into trouble. Uh, but this is no something doubt. that you feel yeah. and that you're trying to work on? Oh, I know it's true, but 
by the way, uh, the facial expression of Woody Harrelson during this part is like, we should not be talking about this. Like, he's not clearly he's uncomfortable like, about this. How the, the fuck CIA did we part. even? This was my fault we got here, isn't it? God damn it, God damn it Woody. God damn it. Yes? Yeah, he was. How do you know? What proof? What proof? Bitch. Uh, see, I shouldn't yeah. get into this right now. Okay. This is where we're going to get into trouble. Uh, but this oh is something God. that you feel and that you're trying to work on? Oh, I know it's true, but, uh, you know. Does it make a difference? That he was trained by the CIA? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes a difference. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so, it's fucking relevant. As a wrap-up there, yeah, Woody Harrelson's dad shot Kennedy from the grass. You know, that's my... That's, that's fucking my, crazy. It's like, uh, God damn. Well, it's like, you don't charge a soldier for murder. Do you charge, a, like, a CIA assassin for murder? Uh, <laughs> the line gets pretty blurry there, doesn't it? Right. God fucking damn it. What was the so dad's you, name again? Char Charles Harrison? Charles Harrison? V. Harrelson. These goddamn conglutes. Can glass this oh, fuck him too. Yeah, Charles V. Harrelson got hired to kill a federal <laughs> judge. That's why he's still in jail. I think he might be dead. I can't remember. But yeah, I just crazy, thought that was, dude. Yeah, if Same. you get a chance, watch Woody's facial expressions in that interview. <laughs> also in the show. And, and she's Mallory Knox did it. And she's like, "Are you try? Are you trying to get your dad out of jail?" And he's like, uh, "Well, he's like, I haven't given, I haven't up, given hope. up hope." Yeah, and I'm like, "Cause Ooh. I mean." I'm but kinda everything being else, I'm kinda, I have given up on by the people who put them there. So yeah. you know, I've given up on everything but hope. The hope is still there. Uh, uh, the budget no. has dried up. You know, the lawyers—they don't call anymore. You know, but I got hope. There's hope still. Uh, it's fucking amazing. Maybe I should just quit and shut the show down. <laughs> God damn. Uh, man, well, I don't know. Should we should we touch on anything else before we wrap this puppy up? I well, I like um I I really like the Woody Harrelson's dad shot JFK thing even though I don't know if it's true. Sounds, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wonder. Woody Harrelson knows more than he's letting on. Yeah. Oh, he's That's a treasure trove. Can you imagine doing peyote with that guy? Fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think we should uh, start a new hashtag. Hashtag interrogate Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? You're what trying do you to know? fuck with us. <laughs> this is Louisiana, Chief. I mean, how the hell do you know who your daddy is? Because your mama told you so. Cause your mama told you so. That's uh, the, best, been, the best metaphor for trusting, like what the government tells you, is that line right there. Yeah. How do you know who your daddy is? Your mama told you. <laughs> what? God. Uh. Well, shoot. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna end the show. Yeah. I don't know. If, <laughs> I can't be on air right now. I can't be. I was looking for that the whole right, see, time. See, I told you I can't be on air now. Finally found it. Um, We're gone. It's over. <laughs> oh, <laughs> brother. <laughs> I'm not show anymore. <laughs> I, I may have to go off air right now. All right. See, I told you I can't be on air now. <laughs> um, well, bowlafterbowl.com will be linked in the show notes. I was trying to. I was trying to give you a pause so you could hit the hit the bowlafterbowl.com. <laughs> 
I've never we'll done a one. I've showed up. And thanks again, guys. This was a blast. And uh, Hell next yeah. time, next time we got to do what we did last time and just have a hang. So I don't have so many clips bar- I'm barraging you with. Oh, they were good clips though. There's a lot of stuff I hadn't seen. Great. Yeah. And they're all handily on one page now, so you can just rabbit hole all at one spot. It's beautiful. You've got old clips. You've got new clips. Everything so many clips. in between clips. Yep. Two. Cocksucker. All the clips. Faggot. <laughs> <laughs> Got me the ba- by the balls. <laughs> Got me by the balls. By the balls. Oh. Uh, well, thanks again, guys. And uh, bullafterbull.com. Check them out live every Tuesday night. Bullafterbull.com. 10 Eastern, 9 Central. Right? Yep, yeah. that's correct, Amundo. There's an OnlyFans. There is. Lauren. You guys are competing with Grumpy Old Ben's OnlyFans now? <laughs> yeah. I, I got to ask why OnlyFans over like Patreon? Is this, wait, I'm confused. Well, there's certain things you can't do on Patreon, right? Is that true? Maybe that's not true. But I, we're trying to move it all into independent. Um, yeah, just have like, like self hosted. Like make, exactly. make our own hosted. Uh, you know, user account login place. I get that. Well, I enjoyed your show. Yeah, it's a good show. Ball after ball. Oh, good thank show. You. By the Thanks. way, Lorian, I I was looking for thirty threes in my Kennedy research and didn't find a damn one. So I guess they oh. had to come up with that meme back then. Interesting. Hmm. Maybe the Masons just weren't involved in it. Oh well, actually, <clears throat> he might have been level thirty two or thirty three. Can't remember, but Abraham Zapruder, who films the Zapruder film, oh, was like yeah. a high-level Freemason, which makes because and that's like the best evidence we have that there was shots from the front. So it makes me think that he knew it was coming and he was there to expose it. The um, Masons might have been, you know, the good the guys in this situation. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. that's what I've thought since hmm. since Zapruder was like high-level. It's is it thirty-two or thirty-three that's the highest? I think he was whichever one's the highest. So I think it's thirty-three, and then that. If it's 33, then that counts as a 33. In the Scottish version or whatever, there's like Scottish <laughs> Masonic and there's, uh, I don't know. I even have Freemasons for Dummies and I just like read the first chapter and a half and my fucking eyes glazed over. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> so drab, dude. Because you're not a dummy, men, man. These old it's... men that run the world that fucking have their rituals, man. Their rituals are so boring. Should have gotten uh, Freemasonry for really cool, smart people. That's what you should do. Dude, in in South Park, uh, in South Park, Colorado, uh, where they have like this the old mining town museum, yeah, all like there's like all these old uh, buildings and stuff, like an old tiny bank and like your old western looking town from the uh, 1800s, and they had this in this little uh, Mason Lodge that's like still the original Mason Lodge building of the town. They had this old behind the glass, like old freemasons bible and it looked crazy and it was big and i wanted to just break the glass and steal it so bad because i was like I oh jesus <laughs> i was like no nobody was, i wouldn't have to do it nobody was around you, to- no, I was you like, totally sh- you totally should have smash i wanted dash. that Dude, so bad. it was like a big smash giant like with dash. a gold seal on the front freemason Holy fuck, bible dude. i was like oh i want that man he opened portals and shit with it dude life is an rpg man You've always got to steal, you know, hit that thievery option. Only if your sneak count lock, is like wicked high, dude. My lock picking and sneak levels 
and pickpocketing levels aren't high enough. I've been focusing on archery and spells. But how high is your charisma? <laughs> Not high enough. You know, you've known me a long time. My charisma is All right. Yeah. No, that's true. Just like what a guy with high charisma would say. Hey. <laughs> oh. Cocksucking faggot. He got me by the balls. By the balls. All right. Thanks again, guys. We're going to. Hey. Hey. Should play the gutter ball one. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. Bowlafterbowl.com. Oh, yeah. Thanks again, bowl Noah. Bowlafterbowl. Hey. sick. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and I will talk to you guys soon. We got we to gotta hang out soon yeah. again. Hell yeah. Absolutely. I've enjoyed this. Um, next week's the last week of my class, and then I'll have more free time. Fuck yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, it's nice to, nice to meet y'all. Yeah, yeah likewise. nice to meet you too. Good hanging, Noah. Yeah, nice hang. Peace out, everybody. We've all become hamlets in our country, children of a slain father leader whose killer still possessed the throne. The ghost of John F. Kennedy confronts us with the secret murder at the heart of the American dream. He forces on us the appalling questions of what is our Constitution made? What is our citizenship and more our lives worth? What is the future of a democracy where a president can be assassinated under conspicuously suspicious circumstances while the machinery of legal action scarcely trembles? How many more political murders disguises heart attacks, suicides, cancers, drug overdoses? How many airplane and car crashes will occur before they are exposed for what they are? Treason doth never prosper, wrote an English poet. What's the reason? For if it prosper, none dare call it treason. The American public is yet to see the Zapruder film. Why? The American public is yet to see the real x-rays and photographs of the autopsy. Why? There are hundreds of documents that could help prove this conspiracy. Why are they being withheld or burned by the government? Each time my office or you, the people, have asked those questions, demanded crucial evidence. The answer from on high has always been national security. What kind of national security do we have when we've been robbed of our leaders? What national security permits the removal of fundamental power from the hands of the American people and validates the ascendancy of invisible government in the United States? That kind of national security, gentlemen, the jury, is when it smells like it, feels like it, and looks like it. You call it what it is. Fascism. I submit to you that what took place on November 22nd, 1963, was a coup d'etat. Its most direct and tragic result was the reversal of President Kennedy's commitment to withdraw from Vietnam. The war is the biggest business in America worth $80 billion a year. President Kennedy was murdered by a conspiracy that was planned in advance at the highest levels of our government and it was carried out by fanatical and disciplined cold warriors in the Pentagon and CIA's covert operation apparatus, among them Clay Shaw here before you. It was a public execution and it was covered up by like-minded individuals in the Dallas Police Department, the Secret Service, the FBI, and the White House, all the way up to including J. Edgar Hoover and Lyndon Johnson whom I consider accomplices after the fact. The assassination reduced the president to a transient official. 
His job, his assignment is to speak as often as possible of this nation's desire for peace while he acts as a business agent in the Congress for the military and their hardware manufacturers. Now, some people say I'm crazy. <laughs> Southern caricature seeking higher office. Well, there is a simple way to determine if I am paranoid. Assess the two men who profited the most from the assassination, your former president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and your new president, Richard Nixon, to release the 51 CIA documents pertaining to Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. Or the secret CIA memo on Oswald's activities in Russia that was destroyed while being photocopied. All these documents are yours. The people's property. You pay for it. But because the government considers you children who might be too disturbed or distressed to face this reality, or because you might possibly lynch those involved, you cannot see these documents for another 75 years. I'm in my early 40s, so I'll have shuffled off this mortal coil by then, but I'm already telling my eight-year-old son to keep himself physically fit so that one glorious September morning in the year 2038, he can walk into the National Archives and find out what the CIA and the FBI knew. They may even push it back then. Hell, it may become a generational affair with questions passed down, father to son, mother to daughter. But someday, somewhere, someone may find out the damn truth. We better. We better, or we might just as well build ourselves another government like the Declaration of Independence says to when the old one ain't working, just, just a little farther out west. An American naturalist wrote, a patriot must always be ready to defend his country against its government. I'd hate to be in your shoes today. You have a lot to think about. You've seen much hidden evidence the American public has never seen. You know, going back to when we were children, I think that most of us in this courtroom thought that justice came into being automatically, that virtue was its own reward, that, that good would triumph over evil. But as we get older, we know this just isn't true. Individual human beings have to create justice, and this is not easy, because the truth often poses a threat to power, and one often has to fight power at great risk to themselves. People like S.M. Holland, Lee Bowers, Gene Hill, Willie O'Keefe, they've all taken that risk. They've all come forward. I have here some $8,000 in these letters sent, sent to my office from all over the country. Quarters, dimes, dollar bills from housewives, plumbers, car salesmen, teachers, invalids. These are people who cannot afford to send money, but do. These are the ones who drive the cabs who nurse in the hospitals, who see their kids go to Vietnam. Why? Because they care. Because they want to know the truth. Because they want the country back. Because it still belongs to us. As long as the people have the guts to fight for what they believe in. The truth is the most important value we have. Because if the truth does not endure, if the government murders truth, if, it, if we cannot respect the hearts of these people, then this is not the country in which I was born in, and it's certainly not the country that I want to die in. Tennyson wrote, authority forgets a dying king. 
This was never more true than for John F. Kennedy, whose murder was probably one of the most terrible moments in the history of our country. You, the people, the jury system sitting in judgment on Clay Shaw, represent the hope of humanity against government power. In discharging your duty and bringing the first conviction in this house of cards against Clay Shaw, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Do not forget your dying king. Show this world that this is still a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Nothing as long as you live will ever be more important. It's up to you.